Welcome to And Almost Starring, the show where each week we take a film and break down the casting, including who almost starred. I'm Jeff Ronan. I'm Amy Jo Jackson. And today, people will say we're in love. We're looking at Silence of the Lambs. For better or for worse, out there is a universe where it may seem bizarre, but they were almost starring. Is Hannibal just a big fan of Oklahoma, the musical in particular, like specifically, or do you think he's a big fan of musical theater in general? I think he's someone with a lot of references Mm -hmm. who employs them when it's going to be most distressing. So I don't think he's like someone who's like, ooh, spin me another vinyl of R&H, please. I think it's more like this is going to be deeply hurtful and distressing and upsetting. You you don't think the original instead of quid pro quo was, and now you have to listen to me sing the entirety of Surrey with the Fringe on top. I would like that. You need to learn all of Laurie's choreography in the Dream Ballet, Clarice. Like it would, it, like a Clockwork Orange, really like puts singing in the rain in a totally different light. It would really, exactly. it would really uh, hurt in a in a fun way. I think. <laughs> well, I just think of. I mean, it's such a. It feels like a lot. He's largely inspired by Hannibal Lecter is uh, Kelsey Grammer's character, Sideshow Bob, in The Simpsons, uh-huh. always trying to murder Bart Simpson. And there's one great in uh, the Cape Fear episode where bart distracts him by being like managing to make him perform the entirety of hms pinafore so like it gives him time for the cops to arrive because he is like going through the entire gilbert and sullivan catalog that's one of the only simpsons episodes i know i've seen because it's the episode referenced in mr burns oh oh yeah, yeah. Uh, an electric is, uh, 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 post electric post electric post electric yeah and it right, um, right, right. I-, I was so moved by it <laughs> and then i was like well, i guess i gotta go home and watch oh, cape fear amazing. of the simpsons it's a it's a great episode. It's a great episode. But uh, that's what I was thinking when he's like, people will say, well, love uh, Let's uh Let's get right into it because we got a lot to talk about we in this sure episode. Do. Silence of the Lambs is a psychological drama, thriller, horror film that came out on February 14th, that's 1991. Beautiful. <laughs> Happy Valentine's that's Day. That's magnificent. That's really good for like, especially couples early on in a their first courtship. Date. First date. First date, Valentine's Day. Oh, I. you know what? I just love. Those soft, fluffy lambs. This is uh, clearly some kind of children's movie. Look, there's or... a, that's a butterfly, right? Oh, there's a little butterfly. Oh, that Jodie Foster. Oh, I love that Jodie Foster. And she's got butterflies on her mouth. Well, that's sweet. Little butterfly kisses. Let's go see the butterfly. <laughs> <laughs> with, with this, with this, which is a more distressing title? I mean, I guess no, having to know, know, you know, you know the movie you're going into. But if this is a movie that you know nothing about except like is a horror film, there's a cannibal in it and it's called silence of the lambs or it's called butterfly kisses ew well butterfly kisses i think is a disgusting phrase to begin with you're not wrong but <laughs> butterfly kisses that to me fe- oh that's that's something else silence of the lambs it feels prestige butterfly kisses <laughs> feels very um twee very twee very yeah. b-movie but they thought they they didn't know they were making a b-movie oh you mean b-movie with jerry seinfeld no where, I do where he's not he's he's falling in love with a butterfly so he's getting butterfly kisses to yes and your b-movie bits <laughs> huh. uh <laughs> and sounds of lambs was of course directed by jonathan demi and written by ted tally now along with it happened one night and previous episode one flew over the cuckoo's nest cuckoo. The, the silence of the lambs <laughs> I was going to go pause for silence. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, of course, am one mouthy lamb. I got to have my say. Silence me. You will not. 
I feel like one mouthy lamb is like a sh- is one of those, like a sh- an animated short set in the world of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Like that would be because they had a few of those like tummy troubles and a few of those like Roger Rabbit short films that would pop up before whatever I don't know maybe Fern Gully or stuff like yes, that. Yes. So one mouthy lamb. It's is like a... how there's the there's the like cigar smoking baby. It's like yes, that of course. Hey, of listen, course. I am a lamb yeah. and I got stuff to say. I mean, you know, lamb chop is one mouthy lamb, That's if you true. ask me. You know, you are correct. Got that song that never ends. Oh, Lamb chop's always giving guff it to us. It goes uh, on and on, my friend. <laughs> it goes on and on. Uh, so <laughs> what I was going to say was those three films, It Happened One Night, One Flew the Cuckoo's Nest, and The Silence of the Lambs, a.k.a. One Mouthy Lamb, is, what, is uh, the three films to win the big five at the Academy Awards. Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Director, and Best Screenplay. Uh, which is pretty impressive and also great. We knocked out two of the three. Hey. I, I got to look into It Happened One Night to see if there oh, were other casting do. options. That I could be fun. I maybe watch that. Our yeah, Valentine's great. Day tradition is not watching Silence of the Lands, but it is introducing one another to films that we like because yeah, yeah, yeah. we don't like to go out on Valentine's Day and participate no, in no, the no, commercial no. nonsense. Um, but we're like, well, I will like let's make pancakes and watch a movie. And yeah. one of the I had you watch yeah. it happened one night, and that's a delightful film, folks. If you it's haven't seen good. it, quick plug for it happened one night. Uh, but as for this film, Amy Joe, what is your experience with Silence of the Lambs? Had you seen it before? And and it just did you have you ever watched it under spe- very specific yes. crazy circumstances? Okay. <laughs> so I watched it in high school because I was very big into prestige films in high school, and I like did watch about half of it through my fingers. <laughs> Truly, I did not. I did not see the autopsy scene until this Ooh. time. Yeah. Um, so Autopsy that was the first... scenes are always rough. Yeah, I don't want to see that. No, I no. don't need it. And and at that moment when we we're watching it, you were like, for someone who listens to so many true crime podcasts and watches so many true crime documentaries, I'm like, they're not usually showing crime scene photos. I don't need to see that. True. You know, true, true, true. I don't watch that. I don't watch a lot of procedurals that have autopsies in them. No, thank you. <laughs> um. Anyway, I watched it in high school shrieking and uh made it through and then the next time and the most recent time i've watched it Mm -hmm. was during not like during the time of but literally (laughs) during hurricane sandy i'm i was at my brother's because my place was like not in an evac zone but Mm. it was like half a block from an evac zone and i was like maybe don't hang out here by yourself Mm. so i went to my brother's because he lived a little further north and inland in the Isle of Manhattan and uh, so we were watching it and we were about halfway through and we were like now with the possibility of a blackout which we all knew was very likely to happen to someone at some point we were like should we have put on this particular film but uh, we kept watching him because Aaron was living on the Upper West Side at that point we didn't lose power I was like can you imagine if we get to the scene with the night vision goggles and then we I mean that's power? that's the time for the power to go Well out. exactly and I was like oh no like we we all realized what we did too late but yeah the yeah. winds are howling and we're watching this horrifying oh, man. film man. I saw this uh not great movie uh Splice with uh Adrian Brody and uh Sarah Pauli this like sci-fi horror film mm-hmm. in in theaters um but right before like as the movie was starting clearly something this is like a real this is like a real real film because like it the screen like dissolved like it did like the little like bubble in the center that went like and like but for a moment i was like "Ooh, this is a spooky way to start this film (laughs) (laughs) is this monster gonna come out of the is this like gremlins 2 is monsters gonna come out of the screen uh yeah i think that'd be the best way to see silence of lambs is for the power to go out right as that power goes out i will also say my favorite experience with this film is not exactly with the film but was seeing silence exclamation point the musical off broadway many years ago which was 
screamingly funny. <laughs> so offensive and so magical. Last I saw, those signs were still up, despite the fact that show had been closed for years. Yeah, it was like, oh, we want to say like, what, 08, 09, that something sounds, that like that? Right. That sounds right. <laughs> oh, no, actually, it's maybe more like 2012, 2011, 2012. But, you know what? Oh, that man, sounds right. That it was, sounds right. It, anything I would say would sound right, wouldn't hey. it? You're not wrong. (laughs) (laughs) You're not wrong. Uh, That's become my catchphrase in the podcast, and uh, I'm going to embrace it. You're not wrong. And I had seen this, I think the first time I'd seen this on TV, but it might have been like an HBO. So I I feel like it was like the The actual actual I just remember, you know, Anthony Hopkins standing over the guy covered in blood. And I'm like, I don't think that would have made the TV edit like that scene in its entirety. Um, But I think I caught it like right when she's first talking to the butterfly guys, the insect guys, I think oh, that's yeah, where I first yeah, saw it. Yeah. So then I saw it again, like, I forget when, but I saw, I, I've seen it in its entirety, but it, it's been some time. So, I don't know, probably a decade ago is when I actually saw it in its entirety. I thought it was great, but I was very excited to revisit for the Yeah, pods. I think I can only do once a decade. That's yeah. my limit. Yeah, so no, now I've seen enough. it in my 30s, and I'm good for several years. <laughs> Thanks. There you go. Now, spoilers ahead. If you haven't seen Silence of the Lambs or you haven't seen it in a while, here's a brief-ish synopsis. Clarice Starling is pulled from her FBI training at Quantico by Jack Crawford of the... Hold, please. (laughs) This movie starts. And I turned to Jeff and I said, now we're are we barely begun and we're already in a literal nightmare, which is to say a a rope course. A a tough mutter. (laughs) I was like, it was, I was just like, this is everything I hate. That was actually Jodie Foster's idea. Originally, the film was going to start with the, um, like the fake hostage situation which then they do later where it's him like breaking in and like oh totally with, with the fake no it's great because it also shows like she's yeah. out there by herself just like running the thing yeah. and like she's I, a go-getter I, I love that they have the two ropes that you're seeing her climb the one and there's just one empty yeah. rope next to her that's just like it's telling you because when she's coming back that's when everyone's going out in packs she's out yeah. there before everyone else like it's great character development it's also my nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> I had a dream last night that I had to do a ropes course in front of a bunch of people. And I was I was making jokes and was very embarrassed before it even started. And I was like, gee, I wonder where that came from. <laughs> so anyway, good job, Jodie Foster. I would never play Clarice. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just need some training. You could, or, you know. No, my knees well, you would Well, you wouldn't have it. suggested the uh, opening with no, the No, I would be like, course. can we do it? Deep psychological close-up. You wouldn't have suggested they, you start the film with, uh, you know, a global guts course. Whereas, like, Jodie Foster climbing the agro When crag. I was a kid, I thought, like, I want to be on guts. And I got older, I was like, you had so little self-knowledge as a child. Well, well, then you were like, no, no, I just wanted to be in the audience at guts. That's what I, no, I wanted. I to wanted other people. Perform. I wanted the glory. You I needed glory. to be on a sitcom. You wanted that I chunk of the agro crag. I I wanted the chunk of the aggro crag, but none of the work it took to get there. Oh, it was but a mystery how that aggro crag still stood after taking off so many, so many chunks, chunks to give us trophies. And that, all those chunks were always the exact same. Mm. I think when I first saw Guts, when I was like, probably, I don't know when that show started. It was probably like six, yeah. seven. I think I was like, wow, that's a real piece of the aggro crag. And I was like, <laughs> oh, no. What did you think the aggro crag was? <laughs> well, I don't know. I just thought it was, well, I knew it, wasn't a, a I knew it wasn't a real mountain, but I thought that they were like, you know, it looked like it was just part of like, it looked like you could have taken a chunk out of it and then replaced yeah. it with another platform or whatever. So you're like, no, that's, this is part of the chunk that you climbed over. This is the map, the aggro crag that you conquered. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
And I eventually realized, um, ne- you know, last week or so that that wasn't the case. Oh, but you were last week years old. Last week years old. I was this many. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Clarice is pulled from her FBI training at Quantico by Jack Crawford of the Bureau's Behavioral Science Unit. He assigns her to interview Hannibal Lecter, a former psychiatrist and incarcerated cannibalistic serial killer whose insight could prove useful in the pursuit of a serial killer nicknamed Buffalo Bill who kills young women and then removes the skin. At the Baltimore State Hospital for the Criminally Insane, Dr. Chilton escorts Starling to Lecter's solitary quarters. Although initially pleasant and courteous, Lecter grows impatient with Starling's attempts at dissecting him and rebuffs her. But <laughs> Nice yeah. choice of dissecting. Dissecting. Can we hold one moment uh-huh. because we're not going to discuss him uh, in, in the casting portion and just say props to Tony Heald. As yes. Dr. Chilton, who is <laughs> well, I, 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 so well, great. Well, we'll talk about him. We, we've, I've got a few people that, uh, oh, well, him, Ted Levine. Yes, yes, uh, yes. But regardless, I, I just want to say, about. like, oh. his hair acting alone. The hair acting. That the, is some The way he's costumed. But the way hair. he, like, he's like a used car salesman, but like yes. a classy used car salesman. Yeah. But the hair is, it, it, it's so good. And it's just like, that can do a lot for you on stage, but especially on screen. Like thinking about like um, Ben Schwartz in Parks and Rec. (laughs) That's some strong hair It's kind of similar hair. It's kind of... Just like, how high can I sculpt this tower? And then all you have to do is barely move your head and it's like, ooh. I mean, Frederick Chilton is kind of the worst. Uh, But (laughs) you know, everyone's got great hair acting in this film. Jean-Paul Raffi was kind of a used car salesman. He is a little, but everyone in this film, you got Anthony Hopkins with that slicked back hair, uh, uh, you know, James Gum, old Ted Levine, with that like the long, like receding hairline, oh, but big stringy. mullet. Um, and and Jodie Foster is like the very like that takes time. She's not just like in a ponytail. She's this is some like a little. You have to blow that out. Yeah, blow that out, darling. Lecter rebuffs her, but after a prisoner named Miggs flicks semen at her, Lecter calls Starling back and tells her to seek out one of his old patients, uh, which I loved. Jodie Foster says that during that first meeting between Lecter and Starling. Uh, Anthony Hopkins' mocking of her southern accent was improvised. That wasn't in the script. That he just starts like... <laughs> so creepy. You look like a rube. Uh, and so her horrified reaction was genuine. And she felt personally attacked, as she said. And she later thanked Hopkins for generating such an honest reaction. Well, it's also like, wait, is this him doing this as the character? Or is this actor... Making fun of me. <laughs> this legendary actor... May, yeah, mocking me and my, my acting. Yeah. Oh, no. Well, I love that. Because she's also said that she tended to avoid him on the sets because he terrified her. Well, yeah. I know. But that, to have, like, that's that's nice. You had at least, like, a moment in your filming of your only four scenes. They got those four scenes together and that's it. But they're, like, big scenes. Oh, they're so good. They're great. So, so good. Uh, so this clue leads her to a storage facility where she discovers a jar containing a man's severed head. She returns to Lecter, who says the man is linked to Buffalo Bill. He offers to profile Buffalo Bill on condition he be transferred away from Chilton, whom he detests. Soon after... Another Buffalo Bill victim is found who has a death's head moth lodged in her throat. That's the autopsy scene that we refer to. Buffalo Bill abducts Catherine Martin, a U.S. senator's daughter. Crawford authorizes Starling to offer Lecter a fake deal, promising a prison transfer if he provides information that helps them capture Buffalo Bill and rescue Catherine. Instead, Lecter demands a quid pro quo from Starling, offering clues about Buffalo Bill in exchange for personal information. Quid pro quo, Clarice. <laughs> yes or no, quid pro quo. <laughs> uh, Starling tells Lecter about her law enforcement father's murder when she was 10 years old. Chilton secretly records the conversation and reveals Starling's deceit before offering Lecter a deal of his own making. Lecter agrees and is flown to Memphis, where he meets and verbally torments Senator Martin, then gives her misleading, incorrect information on Buffalo Bill. 
Starling visits Lecter in secret, who is now imprisoned in a cage-like cell in a Tennessee courthouse and requests the truth, which I loved going up in the elevator. That one guard or cop or whatever, Bobby. Bobby. He's like, oh, excuse me, can, can I ask you, um, is it true what they say about him? See, see some kind of vampire. It's like, it's like, is a cannibal. You wish he was a vampire. Is a cannibal. I mean, of course, cannibal is horrific, but it's like, is that such an, a bananas thing to imagine that your mind goes to vampire, Bobby? Well, maybe he like misclassified it in his brain. Is it, Someone is said it, cannibal. And is, he was is, like, is it true? Oh. Is it true that he's, a, he's one of those chupacabras? <laughs> chupacabra? <laughs> yeah, but maybe it's like, he thinks like, oh, he drinks blood. And it's like, well, yes, but that's kind of a byproduct of the, of the fleshy meat that he's just like chomp chomp chomping choppy choppy is it true what they say about him is he is he is he the Loch Ness monster did we catch <laughs> did we catch nasty no not the Loch Ness monster just a Loch Ness monster one, one of them I know one of them we I, know there's plenty well I know there's plenty I I, I, I was out in uh, Scotland on my honeymoon and I and I shot one but then when I got back to it it turned back into a duck <laughs> oh Bobby that was just a duck no 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 no, 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 no. it's one of them were ducks it turns into the Loch Ness monster it wasn't quacking normal <laughs> It was quacking all weird. When I was done with it, it wasn't quacking that tall. That's <laughs> me, Bobby, rookie cop. Uh, I would have loved if, when you had him being like, is he some kind of vampire? If you saw him, if he should have had like a little crucifix around his neck that he could like hold to himself. like Flinging with like a little uh, shaky hand. Exactly. Sweaty palms. Lecter says all the information she needs is contained in the Buffalo Bill case file, then insists on continuing their quid pro quo. She recounts a traumatic childhood incident of hearing spring lambs being slaughtered on a relative's Montana farm, causing her to run away. Lecter speculates that Starling hopes saving Catherine will end the recurring nightmares she has of lambs screaming. So the filmmakers were prepared to go to Montana to shoot the flashback sequence depicting young Clarice's runaway attempt. Uh Um, But they filmed this, they did the scene first. And after filming their acting together and how good they were, Jonathan Demme uh, (laughs) announced, I guess we aren't going to Montana. Because he's like, there's no point in cutting away from that. why would you? It would really cheapen the incredible work. And it's like... Also, like, there's no other flashbacks. No, I mean, you're seeing, you know, when she's like crying at the car, you're she's seeing like oh, her, right. her as a <laughs> young girl, totally with the, the father. We're you're, talking about. you're seeing a little bit, but you don't need you. But you've prefaced it. You've set it up, so you yeah. already know like what this little girl that looked nothing, as you said, what we know Jodie Foster looked like as a child. I know. I was just. <laughs> I, it was so strange because it's like some actors, uh, you know, you don't know what they look like right. as a kid, or you know, you're like, oh, I can see that. But because we've seen Jodie Foster on film as a child, it's like yeah. this child looks. <laughs> Nothing like baby Jodie Foster. Baby Jodie Foster looks like Jodie Foster exactly. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, better, better young Jodie Foster casting is a uh, baby young Jenna Malone in contact is actually a pretty good I don't I've not seen oh. uh, so I won't be able to contribute. But <laughs> listener, imagine it. Then just assume I'm so right. I believe it. <laughs> uh Lecter returns the Buffalo Bill case files to Clarice just as Chilton arrives and has the police escort her from the building. Later that evening, Lecter kills his guards, escapes his cell, and disappears. Can we talk very, very briefly mm-hmm. about how that entire set and sequence and everything is like the lo-fi version of Javier Bardem and Skyfall. It like it, it's like here I am in this orb and by orb I mean a big square. That's mm-hmm. not an orb at all. But you know it's like right. here I am. You can it's, it's a little me. cell. It's a little cell in a place that's not a prison. Yes, that's in and this it's courthouse. Like, and you think yeah. this is somehow going to contain me, criminal right. mastermind? Ha 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 ha! <sighs> no, I'm going to kill 
literally everyone. Right, but I mean, also as we'll as we'll we'll get to it uh, at the end when Hannibal is in his disguise and his like tan, <laughs> his just, beige suit, and his long blonde wig. He's it's also like, wait, is this where they got? The I truly Javier Bardem's look it from must in have Skyfall. Been. They were like, no one will clock it. Let's do it. People, I'll be like, what's that remind me of? Well, who cares? He's creepy. But they won't get that we totally right. ripped it off from exactly. Hannibal Lecter. Exactly. This film inspired Skyfall. Skyfall. I think we can all agree. We can all agree. It's a silence oh, of the lambs. <laughs> ba, 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 ba. You know, Oscar, like that. please. <laughs> I'm ready for uh, Also, I I love this scene of you know Lecter Lecter escaping, which you had, which I didn't realize because I made a joke that I was like, oh, you think that face off was inspired by this scene? Because I didn't realize that you'd forgotten I that how Lecter escaped. It is had that been, he when was Sandy 2012? It's sure. now 2020. I suppose, I just found that I found this such a memorable. Like I never forgot this from the first time I saw it, where he had like cut off that guy's face and like put it on his own face, real face off such, uh, and then yeah. pretended like, oh, excuse me, please, excuse me, I, I I need some air, I need an ambulance. I think it's it's a testament to how willing I am to block things out. <laughs> Fair enough. I thought he was Emilio Estevezing on the top of the elevator, you know, and then I he's understand still bleeding, now. and I thought they were like all in danger. And he was like, no, I'm just hiding up here. I and was... then when they were looking down the shaft, I was like, that guy's dead. See, when you said that he was, you thought he was Emilio Estevezing, I just imagined Hannibal standing on like a little tabletop with Judd Nelson and Anthony Michael Hall, just doing do, like boogieing, just doing some dancing. Okay. I'm not just, mad about that, but An- not Anthony, Anthony Hopkins in that ridiculous blue tank top that Emilio Estevez is in. Uh, okay. Yes, Anthony Hopkins was busy uh, duck taping uh, some jocks' butt, <laughs> butt cheeks together. <laughs> okay, that is clearly not what I meant, but I'm thrilled for the misunderstanding. You know no. what? We're not all different. There's the rebel, there's the weird girl, there's, there's the, the princess, cannibal. there's the cannibal, and there's the nerd. We're the breakfast club. It takes breakfast club meeting to a whole new level. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Uh, but also, this escape scene did bring back the return of my favorite character of this film, qu- quickly becoming my favorite Bobby? character, Bobby. Bobby, Bobby, just like <laughs> leading the charge. Immediately, two people leapfrogging in front of him because like you can't let Bobby lead the charge. He thinks he's dealing with a vampire. Uh, Chief, you don't know. Chief, can I be excused? I, I forgot. I forgot my my holy water in my thermos in my car. <laughs> uh, Chief, can can I be excused? I, my my crucifix is in my other pocket. I didn't bring near enough garlic. Oh, oh, you know, you know what though? I, I, I had a lot of, I ate a lot of garlic bread at lunch, Chief. So I, sh- I should be. Good. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna exhale a lot. <laughs> Stay away from me, vampire! <laughs> <laughs> Unless, do you think it's the Loch Ness monster? Because I don't know what to do for that. I don't know if they don't like garlic or wh- what do I do with that? Like a wooden bullet? Bobby, we're gonna transfer you to our supernatural division. Ooh, I don't like that one bit. Ooh, look at me! I'm teamed up with Hellboy now. I'm I'm trying to go find some creepy crawly creatures going bump in the night. Bobby is not prepared for that. He's so not. But I want a buddy comedy now of um, you know, some Bobby comedy. Pretty much Hellboy, Hellboy and Bobby. Wait, what did you say? A Bobby comedy. Oh, Bobby comedy. Now, Starling deduces that Buffalo Bill knew his first victim, Frederica, and travels to her Ohio hometown. At Frederica's home, she notices unfinished dresses and dress patterns identical to the patches of skin removed from the victims. She phones Crawford and says Buffalo Bill is making a suit with human skin. Crawford is already en route to make an arrest, having cross-referenced Lecter's notes with hospital archives and finding a man named James Gum who fits the profile. 
Starling continues interviewing Frederica's friends while Crawford and the FBI storm Gum's address in Illinois, finding the house empty. It's a real fake out for the viewer. It's a good job. It's a good job editing where you're thinking that they're, you're seeing. Well, they put the little like, you know, Calumet City, Illinois. Like they put that on the thing and you're like, oh, this is all happening there. And you don't realize they are misleading you intentionally. Yeah, you're seeing the one, which of course, you know, you're sending this guy with the flowers to ring the doorbell and then cutting to like James Gum here, getting his doorbell rung. So you assume it's the same thing. With the same, like he's pressing the buzzer. Right. Yeah. But like, really, you're going to go to this serial killer's like skin slicer, slicer's house. And is he's going to answer the door being like, I, I don't, I don't, rem- I can't do a James Gum voice. Um it puts the lotion in the basket. Eh, I guess it's, it's it's a little like Bobby. Um, <laughs> it's just Bobby. I don't know. I'll never do it. I don't remember. There we go. It's it's real deep. It's that real because it's real. The like, would you would you f me? I'd f me. That's yeah, it. It's yeah. it's it's yeah, it's imagining. Right in the back of the throat. It's imagining if Michigan J Frog had a frog in his own throat. <laughs> Hello, yeah, my like, honey. Hello, my baby. Oh, I'm like you're trying to inhale. The right same there, time there, you're talking. So that's what it is. I mean, what, did they expect you to answer the door and be like, I don't remember ordering all these flowers. Who loves me? <laughs> me loves me. Me loves me. I guess I bought myself. I deserved a treat. I <laughs> I'm gonna treat myself treat to myself some roses. 1991. <laughs> Uh, meanwhile, Starling goes to interview another person who knew Frederica, but realizes the man is James Gum after spotting a death's head moth flying loose. Over some skeins of, uh, not yarn. What is that? Thread? Thread's the word I'm looking for. I'm a real, I was going to say something that combined the words mathematician and seamstress, and I couldn't do it. So I'm a real seamstress. seamstress. You're, you're a, a mathstress. <laughs> couldn't even get through it because there's no world in which any of this is true there sure isn't she pursues him into a cavernous basement where she finds Catherine trapped in a dry well in a completely dark room gum stalks starling with the night vision goggles but when he cocks his revolver starling reacts quickly firing all her rounds killing gum some time later at the fbi academy graduation party starling receives where i mean really i feel like they should have everyone else in her class looking at like shooting daggers at her like stupid clarice starling got to solve like a giant murder a major national case which i think i mean they already do such a good job of showcasing her like being such the odd person out yeah. uh well it's like her and the one other woman yes you know and it's like i love that scene fairly early on where they're like going back and forth over clearly like, trying to memorize stuff for a test and they like are the two of them are jogging alone and then this whole right, group right, of men yeah. jogging all turn around and like check checking them, them out, out yeah. it's like Yep. I mean, that's a yeah. really good yeah. way of being like, that's what it's like. Yeah. It, it's a nice another little show don't tell detail. Yes. Where in some cases where they tell, because Jack Crawford is like the worst, just like yeah. where he's like all this room full, that, that autopsy room, just full, like so many people crowded around this body, all these yeah. like little local cops. I mean, at that point, then it's Jodie Foster, it's Clarice being like, everybody, excuse me, everybody out, please. Thank you all so but, much. Yeah, but before that, Jack Crawford, just to the cop being like, oh, we, sh- we shouldn't talk in front of this woman here. Um, and her being like, they learn from you, sir. Yeah. They listen to you, sir. They take their cue from you. He's like, point taken. Point well, taken. Good night. And then he takes a nap in the car. <laughs> Uh, so, FBI graduation party, Starling receives a phone call from Lecter, doing his uh, best Javier Bardem in Skyfall Halloween costume <laughs> impression, uh, who tells her he has no plans to pursue her and asks the same favor in return, to which she says she cannot do. 
Lecto says he must hang up because he is having an old friend for dinner. As we see Tony Heel getting out of a plane. Old Tony. Because that, that's his voice he used. It's me, Frederick Chilton. That's played always by how Tony, Tony talks. Heald. Tony Tal. Tal- <laughs> great, great Shakespearean actor. Tony Heel talking like this exactly. guy. Exactly. Oh, my God. Remember when I played the King Leah? <laughs> that was great. <laughs> blow. I think we should mention wins. at this point, like, we both know Tony. We both know and Tony. And no, no, no way moment like that. of <laughs> any iota of time I've ever spoken with him he's spoken like that. No, never, ever in a million uh, years. Uh, and the movie ends with him trailing a newly arrived Dr. Chilton before disappearing into the crowd. Now, if you don't mind, Jeffrey, I would like to take a few moments here to put some facts on the table about Ed Gein, whom uh, who, uh, this story is partially based on, mm-hmm. who inspired this character, just because I think it's uh, important and, in fact, um, in poor taste not to mention some of the ways in which Hollywood and, and I don't yeah. I haven't read the original novel, so probably also, I, I think most definitely also the novel took this story and right. manipulated it. Uh, in a particular way. So Ed Gein uh, was a farmer in, what was it, Plainfield, Wisconsin, which was like a tiny town. Um, and in November of 1957, um, this uh, woman who owned the local hardware store named Bernice Warden was found missing from the store. And uh, the last purchase found at the at the store was like a receipt for a gallon of antifreeze and ed gein had been by the hardware store the night before saying like oh i'll come back in the morning because i need to buy a gallon of antifreeze and there's just like a pool of blood and no bernice and so they're like might be this ed gein guy so they go to the gein farm there's no one there and this i find very interesting there's um there's no electricity at the Gein farm. So the policemen are having, they don't have flashlights for some reason. They're having to light matches to oh. go into this farm, which feels very That's Jodie Foster. not terrifying at all. Yeah, not at all. Um, feels very Jodie Foster in the night yeah, vision yeah. goggles scene. And they find, um, they find uh, Bernice. Uh, they found her like trussed up like a, like a, a deer, like how you would like yeah. tan uh, a, a deer for its hide, uh, like draining the blood from her. And uh, and then they find all these body parts in the house. So Ed Gein was technically not a serial killer. For To be to qualify as a serial killer, you need to have three or more kills. And he only has two confirmed kills. Now, there's some rumor that he may have killed his brother earlier on in life. But insofar as like the people that we know that he murdered, it was Bernice Warden. And in 1954, he killed uh, Mary Hogan, who was a tavern owner a few uh, towns over. So, you know, basically his, his mother died and it seems to have sent him into a particular spiral where he then wanted to create a woman's suit um, and so he, he basically, he killed Mary Hogan, um, but between 1954 and 57, those are the only two women that we know that he killed, but he was a grave robber. So he would go to freshly dug graves, like in his small town and that, you know, from a few towns over. So it was, I think about like three cemeteries he was working on. And I, I think he, um, he admitted to digging up nine, well, he dug up a ton of graves, but he only like took bodies from nine graves. So he was working with all these different bodies. So the police come in and they're finding all all these different body parts and like a lot of um, like stripped, very carefully peeled face face skins that he would wear as masks. Very famously, very sensationally, there was a nipple belt 
uh, a belt that he had made out of female nipples. Um, there was all sorts of stuff. There were a couple of, let me see, a couple of lampshades, I believe, made from I've the heard about the, the lampshades I remember. I'm not as well versed in Ed Gein or serial killers in general as you well, are, I Joe, say, but I do I remember also, skin lampshades. I, I have... I have had an unhealthy obsession with, uh, you know, like this sort of thing since sure. a young age. So many have. But I, I did recently re-listen to an episode of a podcast I love called You're Wrong About. And they did a whole episode on uh, Ed Gein and how it influenced films. And they mentioned Silence of the Lambs. So when you were like, oh, we're going to do Silence of the Lambs, I was like, let me re-listen to that episode. Um, but um, anyway, yeah, there was a wastebasket made of human skin. Um Yes, he wanted. He began to create a woman's suit so that he could become his mother and literally crawl into her skin. So he was doing all of these things that we associate with Buffalo Bill. However, and, and this is a thing that they said on You're Wrong About that I really liked. The things that make Buffalo Bill like Ed Gein are actually... Not so many of the things that make Buffalo Bill terrifying. The things that make Buffalo Bill terrifying are the things that, like, women fear from so many just random men on the street kind of thing. You know, like, Ed Gein, like, did go and actually kill a couple of women. Like, yes, absolutely. But, like, he wasn't, like, hunting women of a particular size. He wasn't, like, you know like killing women for right. that he he did kill a couple of women who closely resembled his mother mm. which there's some stuff in there you know but ed like Gein. ed Gein saying, did. I see, yes I see. but well, as you said during we didn't really get into it but like when buffalo bill like takes Catherine martin he you said it was very similar to like ted bundy where he's like pretending oh, he's got the cast he's on got the arm, arm cast yes just um help me with this couch i can't get in the back of this making van yourself seem harmless right and and then that's that's the root yeah absolutely it's kind of an amalgamation absolutely but I, I did want to say that the the transphobia I found very upsetting, the kind of like 90s of explanation of it and kind of like, you know, Jodie Foster, Clarice comes in with like, oh, well, that's not typically. And they are, of course, using very early 90s language around these issues. But right. But it felt like a very 90s way to explain away and feel like they'd done their due diligence and weren't painting everyone with the same brush. But at the same time, this was a hugely mainstream movie. And this is yeah. how people thought of people who wanted to present as another gender or you know that wanted to like dress like another gender like this is this was a way because it is a horror film and this is a horror character and because the the portrayal is i think quite terrifying but also funny intentionally you know like it's i think made it very difficult for a lot of people to see trans people as something other than freakish right. because of a huge mainstream movie like this. So that's like where I have some issue with it also because like, I feel like so much of until relatively recently of, if we were seeing anything related to being trans in film, it's, it was in the context of a murderer, a murderer of like or horror. someone trying to put something over on someone rather than a of person course. who's just trying exactly. to survive, yep. you know, like the idea that there's like, trans killers out there when it's really like right trans people are more likely to be murdered than just about anybody else like like they're they're gonna be the victims of murder more times than not and it's really exactly. so so that's i just felt like i would not be doing my due diligence and and would feel very uncomfortable if i didn't like say that yeah. and also say like the stuff that they took from the ed gein story they then combined with a lot of traditional male cis straight serial mm. killers yeah a and the combination of that i think is kind of uh toxic uh, and 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 upsetting 
Uh, so we just wanted to say all of that and not to exonerate Ed Gein, the man right, had right, some right. problems, of course not. you know, and, and killed multiple people. But, yeah. uh, but like, um, the stuff that was like true about Ed Gein is not the stuff that I think is even the really horrifying stuff about Buffalo Bill, who's mm. like hunting women and then like, you, you know, like throwing them in rivers and into this sort of thing. and into this well that he built in his yeah and torturing them house. for several exactly. days Ed yeah. Gein wasn't torturing people when yeah. when he went into the the hardware store he like shot bernie's right slit slit her throat so it was over yeah. very quickly well, not that that's great but I'm, he wasn't I, torturing for someone for three days oh, that's true i i mean i did because I, I didn't remember all those details so i was like well i, I mean he he puts her down a well and he's starving her having her rub lotion under her right. skin but he's not actually as they said like all the other ones were like i think shot in the head so it seems like you know you're it, still not great but you're kept in a hole for three days and then shot so you're not true. like Whatever he's not he's not cutting the skin off them while they're alive no, that, is what I mean which they could have been nurses. that much yeah. I know I know but it, I mean you could even be that much more sensational um, because like people were kind of wary of this movie a lot of people before it was made thought it was kind of just lurid and trashy and like mm. oh, this isn't anything um, and then when it was made almost all critics except notably Gene Siskel who like hated it it was just like this is just like trash this is just like schlock and. You know, it, it could be, it could have even been, it could have been even worse. And I was thankful that it was, we didn't get whatever, you know, graphic scenes of like seeing him That's with true. these victims, multiple victims, or even just with Catherine Martin of like yes. having to see her actually like hurt in a, which she clearly, you know, is still being captive and kept on a well and being starved. But That's very true. I'm more talking about in the way that it then yeah. I think continued to perpetuate this idea that transness is other of and course. that it's evil and oh, that it's, it's scary. Oh, I 100% yeah. agree with that. I was literally just speaking to the point of like any serial killer movie where it's like, yes. I, don't, I don't need torture. Oh, it could have been a lot more graphic. Where there's really no, it's not, there's not torture porn in this no. it's all terrifying still but uh it, it's thankfully it's like in terms of what we're actually seeing on screen what they're actually saying is happening to the characters is then... a lot more horrifying than what we're seeing yeah yeah exactly exactly or even you know even what they're implying or xyz yeah totally and thank you for all of that amy joe thank you jeff now, the casting director of Silence of the Lambs was Howard Fewer. Fewer started his career in 1979 casting The Warriors, Hair, and All That Jazz. Big year out of the gate. Yeah. Uh, and will go on to cast such films as Moonstruck, Dangerous Liaisons, Dead Poets Society, Groundhog's Day, and The Truman Show. Wow. Which, unsurprising when you have, like, you know, the guy that cast this, one of the most acclaimed Film, you know, the film mm-hmm. that won like the big five. That oh, he also cast other good films. Amazing. I'm shocked. He didn't just cast garbage. He cast good actors one time, and that's it. <laughs> His taste was squiffy. <laughs> now let's move on to some of the actors who were almost cast. And some of these people may have auditioned. Some may have just been discussed by casting. This is all a little subjective. And as always, I have looked up all the actors in advance, and Amy Joe was hearing it for the very first time. I've along. done no work. <laughs> None whatsoever, except seeing the film and thinking being about it. <laughs> being so scared, so scared. We had to so watch scary. it in the afternoon. Listener, you should know. I told Jeff I would absolutely <laughs> not watch this once the sun was down. And you'd seen it twice. I know. <laughs> I. That's why I knew better than to watch it at night again. <laughs> so let's kick things off with Clarice Starling, Amy, Joe. Your thoughts on Jodie Foster, and who would you cast if you had to cast someone else? I think Jodie Foster does a great job. So good. She's excellent. I mean, she's also like 
such a pro, you know, by a, such a young age. Not like she's super young in this film. 28. But like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, she's an adult, but still, right. like, to give such a deep and nuanced performance yeah. opposite Anthony Hopkins. Like, that's yeah. really the thing is that her big emotional scenes are opposite, like, this giant, you know, who's also playing a terrifying person. Yeah. So, um... I think she's wonderful. Oh, yeah. I, I really, I, it's fantastic casting. I don't have a lot of, like, great thoughts, mm-hmm. TBH. Um, uh, someone who is the same age as her, which I find shocking. It is not known for this kind of film, but I think would have been great. Our fave Joan Cusack. <laughs> Again, typically known for comedies. For comedies, but yeah. But, like, she's good at acting. Absolutely. Um, I I want to see Joan Cusack in more dramas. There, yes! there must be. There must be some dramatic performances out there in like the 90s that just are probably like small films that we've not heard of. Yeah. Um, but absolutely, especially with actors that are such such good comedians, you know they have that depth you know they of do. emotion just under the surface. Yeah. Very difficult, oh, yeah. you know? Um, but speaking of comedy, I was like, mm-hmm. okay, if this were a slightly comedic version, just because we just watched A Simple Favor, I was like, oh, Anna Kendrick <laughs> would be a very interesting, like, in in the quirky, slightly black mm, sure, comedy version sure, of this. That'd be funny. Sure. And then I thought of people like if it were like today, mm-hmm. who who would I see? And I was like, oh, Jodie Comer, uh, who's oh, Villanelle in Killing Eve. Sure. Like, she's yeah. someone who's that got, like, straightforward intensity that I like. Um, I, of course, just thought young Sandra Oh because of her role in Killing Eve of being, like, mm, having this entwined with relationship with this serial mm. killer. Um, but but Jodie Comer as well, of yes. course. Yeah. Some other more contemporary choices. I thought like, Sir Ronan yes. is excellent. She I sure thought is. like she tends to do lighter stuff, but I think Elle Fanning is excellent. Yeah. She could be good. She's done uh, some maybe more even heavier roles. I've, yeah. I've seen like some uh, some smaller like indie indie stuff that she's done recently. And then this is uh, someone who I mean I've only seen her in a couple of things, um, but I think she's she's really she she might be a, like she's certainly older than Jodie Foster was at the time, but uh, Sonoya Mizuno, who I think is most well known at this point for being um in crazy rotation she is the girl who's getting married oh um and uh yeah she's very good she's oh, done she's done a number of sure. things but i was like oh cool. i could see that and it'd be nice to see her doing something yeah. where she gets to like play a hard-nosed agent of course a lot of these people that i've mentioned <laughs> are not americans <laughs> well, and that just means americans need to get it together and act better sure sure <laughs> You gotta earn those roles. They're gonna snatch them. All the the Brits and the Aussies are gonna snatch them from my hands. Give them to me. Uh, I mean, right. Speaking of, I I was just like of that time because her role as Scully was based off Clarice Gillian Anderson. I think oh, would have been great oh, at the yes, time. Yes, yes. Um, of whenever whatever the late nineties or early aughts, Olivia Coleman I think oh. would do beautiful work. I mean, her in like Broad Church of like of this detective yeah, getting yeah, to. Yeah you know, too close to the case. Also, I was like, if this was made 10 years later, so like in 2001, I think Claire Danes would actually be great. That's... And just get her Homeland co-stars, Mandy Patinkin as Jack Crawford <gasps> and F. Marie Abraham as Hannibal Lecter. Because I think that's a pretty decent film. I think that's a really excellent <laughs> film. We know how we love Mandy. Mandy. And F. <laughs> Old F, as we call him. <laughs> I do believe he goes by Murray. Oh, okay. That makes um, more sense than just going... F. Well, I do have a friend who, who is in the musical theater world who is named F something something, and oh. he legit just goes by F. Well, there you so go. I'd be willing to call F. Murray Abraham yeah. F. <laughs> uh, and if this was me today, um, I 
would have liked uh, this actor, Margaret Qualley, who's probably best known from uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. She is the hippie that Brad Pitt like picks up and then takes to um, to the ranch. And she also played Anne Ranking in the Fosse Verdon miniseries, oh. um, who she's great. But also because she, I think she's a little younger than Jodie Foster was at the time. I think she's probably like 25, 26 now. Mm. Um, but she's also very small, which I love in the film of how- How small they make her. How small Jodie Foster is. How everyone is so much, just towers over her. It was like- we, we were talking about like, oh my gosh, they based Zootopia so much. Judy Hopps yep. on, on this. Face Off and Zootopia, Zootopia are based off Sons of the Lambs. But that one great shot of Jodie Foster getting into the elevator with all these Bold giant, men. tall, beefy in men. In those like bright red shirts. And she's just so small. She's, it's literally, because they have to be making a Zootopia sequel. I really hope that they have Judy Hopps, this little bunny, having to like work with some like imprisoned, I don't know, what's uh, like a real smart animal being the serial killer. Oh, um, Tony Hopkins to me in that in that what is, what animal is he? Uh, you, you know, real smart animal, dolphin. <laughs> just just a just a serial killer dolphin in a tank. <laughs> hey, hey, listen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I, I I oh I uh, I I, think I I ate his blubber with some fava beans some and a blubber. nice candy. <laughs> yeah, instead instead of the slurping the, you would have a just. <laughs> That's his laugh. Just a really annoying. That'd be great. That'd be a great joke for adults. Um, but no, you know what? Uh, what I want mm-hmm. is I want someone to do because George Sanders unfortunately no longer with us uh, to do um Shere Khan, just like full of oh. Shere Khan. Oh yeah, sure, sure. I mean that voice. Yeah, yes, come of course. On. I mean that you had the the late great Tony Jay as well as Frollo and. Hunchback of Notre Dame that also like he's also Virgil and Mighty Max a show I watched so often as a child as a young boy (laughs) same great so first of all let's just a little got chat about Jodie Foster so director Jonathan Nemi was convinced that Jodie Foster would be perfect for Clarice Starling when he saw her purposefully walk down a corridor to meet him he liked her air of determination uh, which I love just like right off the bat it's like before you even say a word it's like yeah walk into the room with confidence people it's like I think I've said on the pod before but I have a friend who is British who when she goes in for auditions for something American she goes in with an American accent because she's like I don't want them to have to do any imaginative work whatsoever you know yeah Uh, and Jodie Foster spent a great deal of time with FBI agent Mary Ann Krause prior to filming and Krause is the one who gave Foster the idea of Starling standing by her car crying after that first oh, scene with uh with Hannibal. Awful. I know cuz she while she's like thinking back to her dad dying um cuz Kraus told Foster that at times the work just became so overwhelming that it was a good way to get an emotional release. Like sometimes you just got to go out to your car and cry. And then move <laughs> along with your day. Then move along with your day. So let's get right into it. So, right off the bat, Jonathan Demme's first choice for Clarice Michelle Pfeiffer. Fascinating. Be- because the two of them had just worked together on Married to the Mob. Uh, and he loved, they had like a great working relationship. Yeah. So he was very excited to like conti- continue with yeah. that and foster it. Um, but she turned it down disturbed by the subject matter. Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't dislike it. I mean, she's you know? able to do yeah. other things from Dangerous Liaisons of being like this very pious. One thing that I like about Jodie Foster, or not like that, it's nothing to do with Jodie Foster, but to do with how she sits in the movie is she is like an attractive woman, but she's not someone who's walking around like Michelle Pfeiffer where you're like, oh my God. Right, right. You know, which she's going to get enough of that just being female in the FBI. You totally. know? So being like an attractive female in the FBI, as opposed to like someone who is one of the most beautiful people we've ever seen. It just feels like a very yeah. Hollywood thing to yeah. do rather than like, that feels more like someone 
might look like her and still get yeah. treated a particular way yeah. simply because she's female. Yeah. You know? Oh, but you just made, saying that you just made me think of another person who I think would be great as Clarice. This is me today or whenever a few years ago. Uh, this actor, Rhea Seahorn, uh, I think I'm saying that name correctly, from Better Call Saul, who plays Kim Wexler. I cannot believe she still has not been nominated for an Emmy, people. Um, but she's also like very. Is she the wife? She's Bob Odenkirk's. She's Saul's girlfriend. Oh, or, yes, or actually, yes, actually, yes. no. Actually, she is. She is, she is. They, they got. I watched they got, parts they did. of episodes. Sorry, sorry. Calling saying her, calling her the wife feels so insane to me because they also they got married only because of like I can't testify like uh, in I terms see, of like I testifying see. against but each yes, other. It's the character. Um, right, 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 right. Yeah, she'd be great. Um, but because it's like there's a better word for it, but they she's kind of desexualized on the show, mm-hmm. as is Clarice in a way. Yes. It's like it's just not a factor. It's like very, I mean, you know, the first it's time not you... a factor to her. It's not a way in which she is getting exactly. her needs met. Exactly, which I love. Which I yeah. think not that Michelle Pfeiffer would do that on purpose, but I, there's a certain like of what we the baggage that actors unfortunately carry, carry with yes. them to roles. Um, I think there's. Yeah potentially something interesting there too about like now knowing that Jodie Foster is a lesbian and it's just yeah. like that kind of like also having yeah. to bat away male attention being like I can't I can't communicate to you how disinterested I am in that you know it, that works totally. actually very well just funneling that right into like because I'm interested in my job you know absolutely um but when Ted Talley was writing the screenplay he's the one that suggested Jodie Foster for the role and Foster was lobbying hard for the part but when Jonathan Demme was hired to direct, he wanted Michelle Pfeiffer, who turned it down because of the subject matter and because Orion Pictures wasn't willing to pay the $2 million for which she asked. Uh, and when Demi, Demi agreed to meet with Foster and he hired her after only one meeting because he said he could see her strength and determination yeah. for the part and felt that she was perfect for a career. she'd done a couple of films before. I mean, she just won an Oscar two years before for The Accused. I think uh, it w- she- after <laughs> one meeting is not as big a deal as they make it seem. You well, know? of course not. But, you know. But no, I, no, I get they're it. Still, they're still just enough, especially like very persnickety directors where it's like, I don't care. I don't care how many Oscars you have. I don't care how much money you bring to the box office. Yeah. I'm going to meet with you and like... I feel like David Fincher is someone who would be like, whatever, Stanley Kubrick. Someone is like, oh, I'm going to need to meet you a 72nd time to know for sure. <laughs> um, you'll love this one. Meg Ryan turned it down oh because God, of the violent just, subject matter. I just, I, thank goodness. Can you imagine this movie I, with Meg I really can't. Ryan? I, could, I could only imagine the comedy version with her as Clarice and Billy Crystal as Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, that's a that's that's in his Miracle well... Max age makeup from <laughs> Princess Bride. <laughs> I'll give you a, I'll give you an idea. I, uh, hey. Oh, you, you, know, you know what I love? A nice MLT, a uh, mailman lettuce tomato. Mm, nom, 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 nom. <laughs> With the mailman nice and ripe. <laughs> it's so pikey. <laughs> oh, exactly. Um, after the two of them, Laura Dern was considered. Now that's a great choice. Yeah, but I'm mad at myself for not thinking of it. Yeah, the studio was skeptical as they didn't consider her a bankable star. She was still quite Very a little young. young, younger at this time. I yeah. forget exactly how old. I think she was like. She'd been like know, 21. Like, tw- I think I think 20, around 21. there. I think around 2021. 20, but instead, in 1991, uh, she did the movie Rambling Rose, where she got her first Oscar nomination for leading actress. And, which I love, she got to act alongside her real-life mom, Diane Ladd, who got oh. a nomination for supporting actress. Oh, the only, love it. I know, the only other time that a parent and child have been nominated for the same film was Henry Fonda and Jane Fonda in On Golden Pond. Those are the only two examples, wow. which I think is so cool. That's Can you imagine beautiful. getting to like, yeah, we're just going to the Oscars where we both got nominated, mom. For the same project that we're both, you know, 
working on. Exactly. Oh, that's great. Exactly. I loved, I remembered that Lord Durham was telling some story where uh, she'd call her, her grandmother, her mom's mom to like let her know like, hey, you know, your daughter and your granddaughter just got nominated for Oscars for this film. And the grandmother was like, that's wonderful. Still wish you'd become a hand model. <laughs> of all the things. A I, hand model. I assume that's like one of those things where it's like, I just think that's fine. You do what you want, but your hands are so lovely. It's a very dear. grandma thing. It's I your feel best like. feature. Show off your hands. Always be happy. You should have a scarf. Be always be fiddling with your scarf. Show off your hands. Show off your hands. <laughs> One of my grandmas, like, yeah, every time I would see her when I was there, every time I would, she'd be like, oh, you were so beautiful. And I'd be like, I feel a little uncomfortable about that. But it's like, oh, that's a grandma's job is just be like, pick out the feature that she likes about you and just like push. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, Ellen Barkin was considered, sure. which is fine. That's, that's, it's better than Meg Ryan. Well, of course. Of course. The things that I've seen Ellen Barkin in, there's like a certain, a little more slickness to it that it's hard to... For sure. For that, someone that who's that like, from, like from Virginia or West Virginia, I forget which West it is. Virginia. West Virginia. Also to someone who's like, a little bit, Clarice Stein, a little bit, you know? Like, yeah. um, but Ellen Barkin makes more sense in the world than Meg Ryan, or even to me, Michelle Pfeiffer. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. Um, Kim Basinger was considered, but oh. she was too expensive after the success of Batman, which she's another one. It's like, I don't, I don't need it. I, I'm lumping around with Meg Ryan and Ellen Barkin. I'm just like, I don't know. And it, but instead, because if she didn't sign the Lambs, she would not have made 1991's The Marrying Man, which is where she started a love affair with her co-star, Alec Baldwin. So for better or worse, that's the film she did instead was The Marrying Man. Yeah. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, I like this option. Gina Davis turned it down. Oh, I like that very much. That makes a lot of sense. She'd it's been great. Good, right? She'd been great. Instead, in 1991, she was doing Thelma and Louise. Also, great film. Great utilization of her talents. Yeah. Uh, it's a real toss-up. That's a real toss-up for me in terms of yeah. of being yeah. like, oh, but then we wouldn't have had her in Thelma and Louise. You don't have a shot where she's in an elevator being shorter than everyone. That's for sure. This is true. Well, then you could you would highlight the difference. You'd highlight you'd that all, have, you'd like, have all these very short. You'd have all, no, you'd have all these little Danny DeVitos next to her where everyone is just like looking at her like she's this weird. She has to look alien to the exactly. situation. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's why they, the only person they could pair her with in those early days was Jeff Goldblum in The Fly and Earth Girls Are Easy. So He's true. the only one tall enough. There's so few tall actors. I'm here to inform you with far too much personal experience. Andy McDowell was considered. Oh, totally. Which I would, totally see that. This would have been so much better for her because instead in 1991, she was doing the massive flop Hudson Hawk with Bruce Willis. Wow. Well, yes. too bad. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, Nicole Kidman read for the role, which I, sure. I, I dig. Also very young at this time in very 90, young. Uh, 91. But um, she's great. And I think she'd have been, yeah. she'd have been real good. Yeah. Uh, Emma Thompson turned it down. I thought about Emma Thompson when I was looking at all these Brits. I know, I, like, I know. Oh yeah, Emma Thompson. <sighs> Too many Brits. Can't have both both Anthony Hopkins and her. I think you probably can. I suppose you can. Uh, and finally, Brooke Smith auditioned Catherine Martin, the girl in the hole. <laughs> oh, I was like, who is, I thought you were going to say Brooke Shields. Brooke I was like, really? <laughs> Brooke Smith. Catherine Martin. I was like, who's Catherine Brooke Martin? Hogan. Hulk Hogan's daughter. Audition. Uh, and Hulk Hogan up for Hannibal. Second choice. Very surprising. <laughs> My brain. Um, interesting. Good Go evening, on. brother. Uh, oh. um, yes, for the Brooksmith audition. But when she heard that her close friend, Michelle Pfeiffer, was up for the, was like offered the role pretty much, her first response was, oh, great. I'll have to play the fat girl in the hole. And <gasps> Michelle Pfeiffer said, You'll be great at that. Oh! 
Esme said, thanks a lot, but was ultimately cast as Catherine Martin. And which she, she was great. She was great. She gained 25 pounds for the role it's as well. It's so funny, too, because a size 14, she's a great big fat person. It's like, oh, 14? Oh, yeah. Or she, I mean, that that that's the best, Ted Levine's best line reading in this movie is, oh, yeah, is she a great big fat person? It's also like. Way yeah. to call attention to yourself, guy. Also, just like, I'm sorry, if you can find the clothing size in a store, that is, it's just also, again, a sli- something that, like, probably the filmmakers weren't thinking, like, maybe we don't need to be putting out the myth that 14, no matter how short or tall you are, makes you a great big fat person. Well, he wasn't talking about Brooke Smith when he referred this. Uh, he was talking about the uh, the but first all woman. Like well, yes. 14, you know? Oh, and it's okay. like, okay. Okay. he fair could enough, have fair easily enough, enough. found people who are much larger if he was really looking for, like, skin. Oh, anyway. And even regardless, it's kind of like, oh, okay, okay. It's a great line reading, but it's right. also like, really? Yes. Very true. Uh, let's keep it going with old Jack Crawford. Amy Jo, your thoughts on Scott Glenn and who'd you cast if you had to cast someone else? What did I write? I wrote wildly forgettable. Man, when he when he when your character is literally taking a nap in the car, when he's like going to sleep as Jodie Foster is like still doing work and he's like, uh-huh, okay, you you keep doing it. But that's like yeah. an interesting character thing. And this guy was just Okay, kind let of... me he was making me go to sleep. Yes, that's during... different. That's yes. different. There's just like I'm I'm saying he was so boring that he was boring himself to sleep. <laughs> I just was not interested. No. Let's put it that... It's also just of of the stuff I've seen him in. Of like, I don't know. I feel like most recently he's, he plays like he's like Daredevil's mentor on the Netflix show. He he is not a guy that lives. He was Killer Joe on the original Off Broadway production. No. Yeah, he's not a guy where you with slicked hair and and, up and with vests and glasses and tie. He, it, it fits him so weirdly. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I have a bunch of totally different thoughts. Um, I was like, you know who I want? And this is someone like Bill Pullman. I yes. want to see someone where I can believe there is potentially like right. a romantic thing, even if it's just on his end. Yeah. Like this guy. He, but he's not, he's not also not going to overload no. the film. He's not going to like, like a William Hurt, I think could have been great. Yeah, totally. William Hurt, Bill Pullman. The, th- the thing with like, if you're going to have Hannibal talking about like, do you think he fantasizes about you? Then I think it's, well, no, I just realized my Hannibal lecture is just Eartha Kitt. <laughs> Oh, Eartha no. Kitt, great Hannibal. about you, Clarice. Um, no, but the thing is, is like, if he's going to do that... Good evening, Cusco. Good evening, <laughs> my fellow in... I don't know. I've lost the thread. Um, if you're going to have Hannibal say something like that, it needs to be on some level... Some level true, even if it's barely any at all. And I, I think it was meant to be. Yeah. But he's so like... he's a blank so boring but i think bill pullman is someone who's great great at that um i also have because he would have been about the right age at this time is richard beamer who played tony in the movie of west side story oh and he like i think around this time he did twin peaks oh richard beamer's kind of a weird guy is Mm. my understanding but like he's still acting at this point i feel like i would have He'd just be more interesting because he's a more yeah. eccentric yeah, person. Um, I also thought Chris Sarandon is about the right age oh, at yeah. that point, and he yeah. is a wonderful actor. And very, I've seen him on stage. He's also very like, it's just very interesting to watch. You know, he's like full bodied. Totally. He's not just like a brain walking right. around. And then another one from that same era would have been John Thaw, who's a British actor who's probably best well known for being Inspector Morse on the long running TV show. But he's like kind of on, a on what long running TV Inspector show? Morse. Oh, oh he, the, he's the, the titular called, Inspector Morse. Yes, the show's called Inspector oh, okay. Morse. Those who know, know. Oh. Um, but he is someone who is like, 
you know, kind of like also because we've seen yeah. him be an inspector and someone who's like interested in younger women. It's like a very mm. easy fit. Yeah. Um, but then I also thought if this was going to be something more contemporary, where again, where I want someone who I'm going to believe that there could be chemistry. I'm like, yeah, get me Idris Elba. <laughs> like, that's yeah. all I want. Just yeah. Get... Mo- modern day Silence of the Lambs. That's like top of the list. That's is, like, like Idris Elba. Yeah. Also, just like thinking of like Molly's Gamey. Someone who's like, oh, yeah, I'll be your third build. I'm, f- I'm fine with that because there's certain actors like, I was thinking like is Michael Douglas too big at this time to have done this role yeah. would he not have done it I don't think so I was so. like I think it's also a good utilization of Richard Gere yeah oh much better yeah the thing is is like I think the part like is might be bigger too big. the part is bigger than I think we think it is because I don't think this guy brought so much oomph to it I also thought this would be a good usage of Harrison Ford opposed to Working yes. Girl but I think I he's too, too big yeah. for the thing I mean of other actors who have played this role are I mean uh, Manhunter, which came up before this, the um, Michael Mann movie was uh, Dennis Farina. You had Harvey Keitel in Red Dragon, Harvey which I think Keitel, that's good casting. That's that he'd have been good in 1991. Yes. And of course, Lawrence Fishburne on the TV show of Hannibal, who See, that's great. love that Lawrence Fishburne. Yes. Um, yeah, all these I think would have been just, better. Just more dynamic right. performers. Totally. And the other one I was like, maybe like a Martin Sheen. I don't think he's mm. quite. I think you do want like, like Richard Gere. There's a certain bit of like, uh, oh yeah, I see that you, uh, e- even if you don't. If even if it's not that entirely, I see. I see with the character. I feel like you want like a little bit of like you need to question like, did this person only reach out to try to like yes lend a little uh, mentor mentee help in hand to Clarice because he wants to sleep with her? Yeah, I think you want that. You and want then he's like that. realizing like, oh, you're ac- I've actually, actually underestimated really you. That should be the arc. That but should be. And that's Scott Land is so totally vanilla that you don't get that exactly. And I think that Jodie Foster is trying to play a slight crush on him, but keeping it very professional. But because right. she's receiving nothing in the other way, exactly. And again, it's very delicate. You can't yeah. play it too much, or it will be disgusting. But no. You, you want stuff like to the to the thing that I was talking about the shot earlier of like the the women jogging and the men turning yeah. around and looking at them. It's like it's that small, and I just don't feel like it is present in their scenes. Nah, I agree. I agree. So, um, right off the bat, the person who had originally bought the rights to the novel with the plans to direct the movie and I'll just say this now, play either Hannibal or Jack Crawford was Gene Hackman fascinating but Weird. honestly gene hackman i would be down to see play crawford i agree i, I think better than Again, scott glenn really phenomenal actor so like you're a, gonna get more totally. under the surface oh of course i think he's a little too big i feel like he's too big he'd weigh it, it differently he absolutely yeah. which is fine but it's also like when this character i mean this character has no scenes with hannibal no None. scene you know he's not there my, I feel like if you have too big of an actor, I could so see in 1991 the studio being like, "Oh, but you have to have them show up at the end to help Clarice." Yeah, you have to. You'd have to have Har- Harrison Ford would absolutely have to like. He'd have like the kill shot. He'd be the one or whatever. He'd like flood the lights and be like, "Clarice, get down!" And Clarice would still shoot Buffalo Bill. But yeah, or I don't know. But but the the one benefit you get with having a slightly not even slightly with having any kind of a bigger actor is like you get more of a sense of the guy's importance within the bureau and to her and to Lecter because he brings it up a number of times you know that's why I feel like yeah Bill Pullman or William Hurt Bill Pullman I guess wasn't really that well known then but like William Hurt was like no but I feel like he's he had an Oscar didn't he William Hurt nomination. Yeah. Bill Pullman or William Hurt? No, William Hurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. William Hurt won. He won for Kiss the Spider Woman, right. but he still wasn't like, that was Kiss the Spider Woman. He wasn't Harrison Ford. He no. wasn't, you know, he's still, I think. He's not indie. He yeah. can blend enough in the background 
that you're not like, well, isn't William Hurt going to show up to save yeah, her? It's like, no, 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 of yeah. course not. He's going to be there to like, you know. But it's a recognizable enough name and face and a good enough actor to where exactly, you're like. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, feeling um, differently. And Gene Hackman, I feel like is a little too big. Uh, but but he then walked away from the movie because he watched a clip of himself in Mississippi burning at the 61st Annual Academy Awards. And it made him uneasy about taking more violent roles. So he wow. instead, in 1991, he was busy doing the buddy comedy company business with Mikhail Baryshnikov. With Mikhail <laughs> Baryshnikov? <laughs> Pretty much the opposite end of Silence of the Lambs is a buddy comedy with Mikhail Baryshnikov. <laughs> um, so so here, here, here's, uh, here's who else was considered. Sorry, that really blew my mind. <laughs> This this ticks a lot of those boxes. Kenneth Branagh was considered. Yes, great. That's a guy Perfect. that you buy. You buy that he oh, is. Oh, yes, you do. He's on the make, and also he's got a job to do. I mean, him as Jack Crawford and Emma Thompson as Clarice. Come on. Because I, I think in this year they both were doing the movie Dead Again together. This like uh, You don't get the big age gap. Thriller. This is true, which that I think is you need. useful. I agree. You also don't get it with this person. Mickey Rourke was considered. No, you don't. Very attractive man in 1991. Yes. Um, very good actor in 1991, but he's also he's someone that's like he's not old enough. I you want you you want that. It you helps. want like he doesn't have to be helps. as old as Scott Glenn was, no. who I think was like but late forties, early fifties. But... Scott Glenn, I don't even think read that old. When I went and looked at his actual age, I was stunned. Oh. Because wow. let me see, Foster was born in. Jodie Foster was born in 1962. Mm-hmm. Scott Glenn was born in 1939. Yeah, that sounds about right. It's a significant age difference that, like, yeah. doesn't read as strongly as I think it actually is, mm. you know? Yeah. Interesting. Um, and in which case, Gene Hackman might have been a, a good choice. You you get that, that at least. Um, but yeah, Kenneth Branagh and Mickey Rourke, you don't, you don't get the age. And, uh, oh, hold on a oh, I already forgot. That sound means it's time to play a quick round of Two Truths and Some Guy. The way it works, two of the following actors were up for the role of Jack Crawford, and one was not. Amy Jo has to guess which is which. Your options are Tommy Lee Jones, Ed Harris, and Michael Keaton. Fascinating. Wow. A whole two of those were up for this. Yup. Tommy Lee Jones, Ed Harris, Michael Keaton. I'm, I think the best choice is Ed Harris, so I'm going to say he's some guy. That is incorrect. Oh, dang it. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Michael Keaton. I'm sorry. Tommy Lee Jones wow, I really was not considered for out, Jack baby. Crawford. Uh, yeah, Michael Keaton is a very left field choice for me. I mean, he's always a fascinating actor. I know, but, but like we've talked about him recently, and it's the early 90s when he like did Batman. So, you know. Yeah, this is, you know, the two years after Batman is like... Uh, he's great, but it's, it's still just weird casting for me. Ed Harris, I think, is great. Ed Harris, I think, is one of my Ed favorites is wonderful for this. Casting. Um, but he turned it down as he didn't find the role interesting and would rather have played Lecter, which he was. Well, which, yes. Da, da, doy, that's I the, get that's it. That's the cherry role in as the a film. Ham myself, I Who, get it. I get that they got Scott Glenn. I wouldn't be surprised if all these other actors, all of them, turned it down. I mean, they're like, why would I do that? Yeah, this isn't the when fun role. When I can role. go do something more interesting. Exactly. That's why you need exactly. a Bill Pullman, who was like, I don't need to play the serial killer. <laughs> But I do want to play this guy. Well, it's also someone that like, because Ed Harris, I could see him as a Hannibal. Bill Pullman, I could not. That's exactly see right. Hannibal. You want someone? Bill yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Uh, yeah. But now let's move on to 
the man himself, Hannibal Lecter. Amy Joe, your thoughts on Anthony Hopkins and who would you cast if you had to cast someone else? Anthony Hopkins is so weird, but in a way that is totally believable. Oh, yeah. It's great. I think he's so great. It's a beautifully calibrated performance. I read somewhere that he'll read a script a hundred times. Like literally <laughs> will keep a tally. So I'll keep a tally on my scripts. And I tell you what, I've not gotten to a hundred on any of my recent ones. I'm like, Gah. but for something like Hannibal, maybe you want to do it a lot. You know, I'm sure you read that book cover to cover many times. Um, I don't have a lot of options here. <laughs> my first choice we've already talked about. I'm like, oh, yes. Can we get a remake with Javier Bardem? Oh, yeah. Because I mean, he's uh, we've seen it yeah. on multiple occasions, but he would still manage to give us something we hadn't seen in Skyfall or No Country for Old Men yeah. or any of his other creepy yeah. things. Like he's, he's so great. good. So good. He's so good on camera and so good at being like. I'm just speaking slowly and right, freaking right. you out. And then this is someone who is too young for it. <laughs> and I don't know why I put that. I mean, this is going to be a weird choice maybe, but because I think he's pretty creepy. And he has played serial killers before. So there's precedent. And that's Ben Whishaw. <laughs> he's young. He's young. And it would be yeah, different. But just this kind of like, you know, he'll yeah. be a frail, creepy looking middle-aged man, sure. you know, and he'll... <laughs> He'll just be able to be like, oh, I don't. And then like a spider, he'll spring at you and then I'll bite your face off. Uh-huh. And he'll do uh-huh. it while acting yeah. beautifully. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like there's quite a few British actors of that, yes, like more quiet, there's Ian quieter McKellen. sensibility. There's all, oh, there's Ian McKellen. So many I, was, I was thinking of more of closer to Ben Wishaw's age. I was thinking of like Benedict Cumberbatch or whomever. Yes, um, I still think Wishaw is creepier than Cumberbatch. I guess I've just not seen a role where he's been... You ain't seen creepy. Perfume Story of a Murderer? You know, it's I, there I actually in the title. have. I actually have, which is where my top pick is also in that movie, Alan Rickman. <gasps> oh, the Rickman. Which I mean, for this time in 1991, if you know, he, he'd, he'd blown up with Die Hard. Hell I think this would have been, exactly. I feel like he would have been so, He'd so good. also be a much better Jack, what's his name? Oh, as Jack Crawford? Yes. That's true. That's true. He'd be great. Yeah. He'd have been fantastic. Yeah. He'd be great in the Tony Heald role. Let's get yes. an all Alan Rickman, <laughs> Silence the one of the Rickman. Man movie. One Rickman movie. One Rickman movie. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh so oh, I was also because I can't not think of the, all the other people that have played Hannibal. So of course you have the other Bond, Daniel Craig, great Bond villain, and Mads Mickelson, who played it on the TV show, oh, who that's, is that's fantastic. great. That guy has a creepy face. <laughs> And he it's sure a beautiful does. face, sure but does. man, it's creepy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Brian Cox played Hannibal in Manhunter in the in the first no in uh in the eighties version wow. that Michael Mann did. Who's great? He, but he, I like what he does that I like is he plays him almost normal, where he kind of is like an overgrown kid. Where where in that one, Will Graham, uh, William Peterson is just like trying to get help. To, they're trying to find like the tooth fairy killer, and he's got like this great. He's just like, oh well, well um, you could leave leave the file and um. If I want to get back to you, what, what's your, what's the best phone number? And it's just, but he's just so like, um, what, uh, it's just like, oh, I'm, I, I don't mean anything harmful. I'm just like, oh, uh, what's, what's, what, could I, what, where could I best reach you? Why, why don't you give me your home phone number? Uh, and it's just like, uh, no, don't think so, Brian Cox. No, no, no. Uh, uh, but I think he'd have been great. I think they also could have, you know, it, it's, they really like, you know, you had Dennis Farina as Jack Crawford. Like you didn't bring him back. You had Brian Cox as Hannibal Lecter, they didn't bring him back. It's just interesting to be like a movie that that is only like four years before this mm-hmm. to be like, oh, clean sweep. This is a completely different project, yeah. completely different film. I mean, that clearly was not held in 
as high regard as Silence of the Lambs was. Um, but it's a really good film. Manhunter is worth checking out. It's it's a good, it's a solid uh, Michael Mann, Michael Mann, Michael Manhunter. Um, that's good. You got a young young Joan Allen in okay. it running around. Um, who also would have been also a, a good choice. Clarice, Joan Allen is good Clarice. Choice. Ooh yeah yeah. And if made today, I think he was in the prequel Red Dragon as the Tooth Fairy as Francis Dollarhide, Ray Fiennes. Ray Fiennes is so creepy. He sure we love is. it. I think that's like made today of of actors we have today. I I think he's my favorite. That's a good my option. favorite pick of the ones that I could think of. Um, so when Sir Anthony Hopkins' agent called him in London to tell him that he was sending him a script called The Silence of the Lambs, Hopkins thought he might be going up for a children's movie. <laughs> How wrong Anthony Hopkins was. <laughs> mm, do I do I want to do the science of the lambs or butterfly kisses? <laughs> decisions, decisions. Uh, so Anthony Hopkins viewed the film as a last ditch effort to break out in Hollywood. Although he had acted in movies and on television since the 60s, he had not reached A-list status, nor had he attained the prestige for which he had been hoping with his screen acting career. Because it was his first Oscar nomination. Yeah. And of course, win. Uh, so he went on to say that if the film hadn't garnered the career boost he was seeking, he would have then quit his acting career in Hollywood and focused all his efforts instead on the British stage. Yeah. Which I think is really good that this worked out for him because we've gotten so many, so many great Anthony Hopkins when performances. He, when he was talking about wanting like a view, I was like, a room <laughs> with a view? Is that what you want? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I would just like to see maybe a bit of wood, just just a bit of the day, the remains, the remains would of be the day. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I'm trying to think of any other Anthony Hopkins movie off the top of my head. There's the one where he's on a motorcycle. The world's fastest Indian. Yep. Yeah. Can't. I couldn't think of a way to work to naturally work that way. That well, work that one in. Um, this is how fast my brain is working tonight. Fair enough. So Anthony Hopkins found out that he was cast as Dr. Hannibal Lecter based mostly on his performance in The Elephant Man as Dr. Frederick Trevis. And he questioned director Jonathan Demme. He's like, but Dr. Trevis was a good man. To which Demme replied, so was Lecter. He is a good man too, just trapped in an insane mind. Which I thought was interesting. But also, it was like, that's such a like, what a random film would be like, oh, he's this guy, this guy in Elephant Man, who's like such a like, Altruist. normal yeah. kind of, yeah if anything you I feel like you'd watch that and be like oh maybe he could be Jack Crawford you, you know yeah um Elephant Man on Broadway the revival Tony, Tony Hill hey, yes 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 that the w- guy that was, works that was in the IMDB trivia oh was it <laughs> oh yeah see I know oh things. yeah I know things without reading the trivia too Jeff <laughs> I never said you didn't <laughs> um so one of the inspirations from whom Anthony Hopkins borrowed for his interpretation of Dr. Hannibal Lecter was a friend of his in London who rarely blinked when speaking, which unnerved everyone around him. <laughs> and he described his voice as Hannibal Lecter as a combination of Truman Capote and Catherine Hepburn. Oh, they're like Catherine Hepburn very famously like has this more like this East Coast, like very this everything was yard. Transatlantic. Yes, yeah, just sort of like I pronounce my arms, but also I'm too highbrow for all of them, see? Yeah. With 24 minutes and 52 seconds of screen time, Sir Anthony Hopkins' performance in this movie is the second shortest to ever win an Academy Award for Best Actor in a Leading Role, uh, with David Niven in separate tables in, from 1958, beating him at 23 minutes and 39 seconds. Wow, that's just the power of Niven. The power of the Niven and the power of the Hopkins. Because, um, yeah, it feels like he's all over feels this movie. Like a and lot he is, more than you know, that. Yeah, barely, really not that 
much in, in, in a movie that is like a full two hours. Yeah. So as we said, of course, with Jack Crawford, Gene Hackman was up for him. And uh-huh. I, I, I mean, Gene Hackman as Jack Crawford, I can see a lot more than Gene Hackman yeah, as I'm not, Hannibal. I'm not, I'm, I'm, into it. I'm not seeing it. Jonathan Demme's first choice was Sean Connery, but he read the script and found it revolting. I wonder why. Yeah. I don't like that his he's so violent eating these men. If he was just slapping women around, that'd be one thing. But I don't mind a little bit of a slap. Is there any way that he could slap that Clarice through the glass? No. Oh, that's fine. I'm I say. Going don't approach the golfing. glass, Clarice. <laughs> don't approach the glass if you don't want to get slapped. <laughs> uh, and it's, instead, in 1991, John Connery was doing Highlander 2, The Quickening, and his cameo as King Richard in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Oh, well, there you go. Better place for you, Connery. Get away from this movie. Um, loving this option. Morgan Freeman was considered. Ooh, as we know, that beautiful voice. What yeah. what a beautifully creepy use to put yeah. it to. Which I love that like now uh, Morgan Freeman will occasionally pop, be pop in as the heavy. Even even yeah. when there's like lighter, dumber films like Wanted or Lucky Number Eleven. Yeah. We've mentioned in a, I think we mentioned in a previous episode that his like first Oscar nomination was Street Smart with Christopher Reeve, where he was this like violent pimp. Right. Um. And it, and it, it certainly makes sense. And of course. You know, it's something that is an actor of color that you definitely have to consider to be like, I don't want to be a villain. I don't want to, to be look like, am I going to be the only black person with exactly. lines in this film? And if yeah. so, then is this a, how I I'm want to portray it? I'm a cannibalistic murderer. It's like, yeah. what is that saying? You're saying, you know. It's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, I, I think they've been great. And it's also, it's not like, whatever. It's not like they consider Morgan Freeman for Buffalo Bill. Right. He's like this brilliant psychiatrist that is yeah. also an insane man. So I think that would have been really cool. I mean, that voice, just imagining that oh. Morgan Freeman voice. Hello, Clarice. But, I can't do a Morgan Freeman impression. I'm just imagining it in my head and not through my voice. We'll, we'll see. I, I just imagine him then escaping his whole face-off sitch. Bobby's running in with the holy water and Hannibal's out the door. It's like, I wanted to see my friend Andy again. <laughs> <laughs> Say what to nail. Right. Just ha- Han- yeah, Hannibal just sh- fixing up a boat. The movie ends <laughs> on a different kind of beach town. Yeah. Oh, it really Andy, does. So it really does. Yeah. <laughs> I'm having an old friend. I'm ha- I want to have Andy for dinner for us. <laughs> Chicken a la corn. <laughs> Duck flambe. <laughs> I'm not a cannibal anymore. I just am a fancy chef. Fancy chef. <laughs> A fancy chef, see? <laughs> I'm one of those fancy chefs. Uh, John Hurt was considered. Sure. I, I will admit to not yeah. having seen John oh. Hurt in a bunch of stuff. So sure. I'm not like, oh, yes, yeah. I concur. I'm sure. like, that sounds right. Right. I mean, he's great. I've never seen him in like this kind of like heavy of a role. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the main things that come to mind is, of course, Alien and the Elephant Man and like some smaller roles in like his later years of stuff like uh, whatever the proposition and stuff um but he's great i feel like he's also similar to anthony hopkins who was known but was not like a big star he wasn't popping up in like yeah. big big movies he was in stuff like the bounty with mel gibson and whatever so you're having someone who you don't really have he's not bringing that much baggage in so you're not right. having you know i guess so i mean similar to like what morgan freeman opposed to like gene hackman you're gene hackman's yes. coming in with like we've seen years of years oscars of him terms. as like the good as like the white as the white hat as like the cop yeah. and french connection and xyz well even then he shoots the guy in the back which we all know was not a good not move. great not great move you but know? a little different you know oh and then he ate him <laughs> remember, see, remember, remember when he shot point. him in the back and then he and then he ate, took a bite out of that guy yeah cannibal cop hey <laughs> cannibal cop we don't, uh, don't we, people remember that case oh yeah yeah Derek Jacobi 
was on the short list. Also, someone like coming in where you, you know, not bringing too much baggage, just an, an amazing British actor. I mean, he's of course been in many a thing since then. The Kenneth, he's Claudius in the Kenneth Branagh Hamlet, Gosford Park. He's he's also had his fair share of uh, awful stuff. I think he pops up in some of those underworld movies. Uh, but... He's Chorus in Ken Branagh's Henry Chorus V Ken Henry film. Um, but yeah, he's a very fancy, schmancy British British stage actor, and he's he's great. I think he'd have been he'd, he'd have been, been good. fantastic. Been yeah. 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 yeah, and similarly, similarly to Hopkins, mm. not bringing in a lot of American film yeah, Hollywood totally. baggage. Unlike this person, who I don't see how he could be taken seriously, Christopher Lloyd was considered. I get why people would think that, but I, I, I don't think it's the right fit. I, I mean, we, you know, we just talked about him recently. Fantastic in One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. Like, I, yeah. I feel like his his career could have taken a pivot to like very more serious dramatic films. Yeah. But it's like when then your next big thing after Cuckoo's Nest was Taxi, like years of this sitcom and that you're known for this like stone. Back to the future, and then Back to the Future, Clue. Clue. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're. And then Adam's Family was around this time. This was the same year. It was 1991. Yeah. This is the first Adam's Family movie. And and Suburban Commando with him and Hulk Hogan. Oh, which I had mercifully forgotten <laughs> you talking about. Um, yeah, there's. Look, you have you have actors who just never get an opportunity to this to do this stuff that they're really quite good at, but it is difficult to it it's more of an uphill battle. That first shot where she rounds the corner and sees him standing there, just standing we stock immediately still. are yeah. like, "Who is this guy?" Whereas if it's Christopher Lloyd, you're right. gonna have to do a little bit more work to establish that. So we're gonna take him seriously simply because of what he's been coming out of. You know, yeah. The f- yeah. Oh, I was sorry. I was just gonna say that that was also Anthony Hopkins. Um idea like it was a to to play him like a head waiter oh, at this like five perfect. star restaurant and also he requested that all of his clothes be like cinched like so 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 tight to him so it would give him the appearance of like a butler and would force him to be like very like upright because yeah. that shot i love that like that opening that that not opening but that like uh, uh camera shot of her going down the hallway and just like so like see, checking in all these prisoners and finally and as they cross and he's just standing there yeah. stock still waiting for her yeah uh is so good and so creepy um and i feel like it's a lot of what hopkins like brought to it yes well um, as we know he was going to go on to very famously play a butler you know so <laughs> like true. it's uh yeah it's yeah. it's also the yeah. kind of englishness that he totally. brings without playing an english person it's right. like just that I, kind yeah. of like you're right yeah i i i know there's a lot in my country about like you know valets and and butlers and this sort of thing and it's like how can i bring that which is going to seem weird in an american movie totally yeah like with this option dustin hoffman which i don't need it i don't need it he was playing the, the villain that he was meant to play in 1981 hook which I'm thankful for. I know and I can recognize it. It's objectively not a great film. No. But I saw that on Christmas Day in theaters and I love it. I think I don't. Yeah. Will one day do that film? I don't think that's a great film, but no. I, I think he's legit great he, in it. He and is wonderful. Great as Hook. Um, even though we've come to well, learn some horrible things about him. Right. He's wonderful in that film. Bob Hoskins, fantastic. Robin Williams, fantastic. You of course, know, of course, of it's course. a delight. That's yes. a better use of him for sure. A, a better use of him as a villain, exactly. Yes. A, a more camp, a Be- more camp villain. Yes. Like actually worked great on him there, opposed yeah. to like imagining Anthony Hopkins as Captain Hook. Well, because and the Dustin th- Hoffman the thing as Lecter. Especially the way that this is written, you know. And again, based on what I've said earlier, kind of hate to like say this, but the more camp 
uh, character, the one with more largesse, is Buffalo Bill. You know, he's got more, he's got a couple of voices that he's using. He's got the dog. He's got, you know, the wearing the caps on his head. Whereas, like, yeah. with with Lecter, it's more reserved until it's just violence. There's it's not true. any kind of, like, I'm toying with my, pr-. I mean, there's a little bit of that. But it's so muted in Hopkins' performance yeah. that it's, like, you can't miss it. I think but it's he's not effect. leaning on it. He's making you lean closer to watch everything he does to to you you want to be like you're like where when when he's in the shadows you're you know the the second scene with him and uh clarice before like the lights snap on where it's like she's just like there next to the thing all soaked from the rain and it's like don't get near the glass um but uh, would also be great in zootopia you know don't get near the the animal the animal cage don't get near the glass (laughs) this dolphin is gonna gonna get you gonna get its beak and (laughs) he's gonna get to peck it with his little little bottle nose but yeah it's because when he does move when he does then break out of the jail and, and like murder those two guys, it's so much it's more shocking. shocking because he's so reserved. He's so, that's, yeah. he also suggested he was originally supposed to be in either like orange or yellow when he gets transferred down to Memphis. Mm. And he requested the white because he said it, it reminded him of his childhood fear of dentists. <gasps> I love that. <laughs> Which, yeah, of course that's like so good. And so, and you, you, you're as a dentist, like he would be more reserved and, a counterpoint to Buffalo Bill yes, and to the colorful, the rest of the film. like because he's got all the the yeah. sewing stuff and the yeah. the hair, <laughs> his yeah. hair and other people's hair. Uh, yeah, Patrick Stewart. Is I considered. was wondering about that. That, yeah. but that's also someone who. And look, I say this as someone who is a big ham. And I I have trouble with reserve. It's just a thing I'm working on. Okay, listener, I'm working on it. But I. Uh, Reserve uh, your ham today. Reserve. It's a famous photo of me pointing to a sign in Whole Foods that says "Reserve your ham today," and I posted it to Facebook with the caption. Just a reminder: I'm available for acting gigs starting mid March. Anyway, um, all that is to say, I just don't see Patrick Stewart being able to rein in his largesse as successfully yeah. as Hopkins does. I, I'd agree with that. I love love that piece too. I'd agree. This was he was right in the middle of Star Trek: Next Generation, so it would have been a little hard. He's not even in the movie long, but it's still like getting yeah, out. I- I think a lot of the things that make Patrick Stewart fantastic mm. are things that would have been a disadvantage to him yeah. in this. You know yeah. what I mean? I agree. I agree with that. Uh, here, here's someone who I think could do that subtlety. Jeremy Irons. Yes. Now that's someone yeah. who's a lot more like, let me just barely right. move and creep you out with exactly. my eyes. Exactly. But he turned it down as he'd just done Reversal of Fortune, uh, where he'd won his Best Actor Oscar. And he didn't want to play another dark character, which mm. is very good in that movie. It's like the based on the real based on like a real story it's him and glenn close whereas glenn close is like Ooh. found like murdered and everyone's like well he did it and it's just like a courtroom drama He's had a real reversal of fortune exactly exactly i'm sure I'm, i can't remember because i saw it so long ago i assume he then inherits a bunch of money and that's why he's got a reversal of fortune but then it's also like oh but now everyone thinks you're a murderer so what another reversal of fortune oh flip-flop flip-flop <laughs> um but he'd be great i mean yes come on yes. that's that i think is like the closest to the characterization that we got. Yes. I think that you can get other interesting. I'd be fascinated totally. to see what Morgan Freeman's version of Hannibal 100%. is. And Derek Jacoby. Uh, like to an extent, Sean Connery, but much, much less of an extent. But this is the one I think that is closest to what we got. But with would Amy still Hopkins. be a very different spin. True. For true. sure. Jack Nicholson was considered. I was wondering about that. And I get it, but I don't no. need it. If anything, like he's too big. 
But well, that's exactly no. No, I was gonna say, but Jack is Jack. Jack is Jack Crawford. But he's. I'm saying he's too oh. big. He's too big for that. But I that's see, the I like. I thought you meant yeah, big as Clarice. a performer. I I I definitely am hiring you for your smarts. Now maybe could you put on a little makeup next time, there, Clara? Point Clarice, taken, Clarice. I mean. Point taken. Christine, we're never gonna forget what you did for us. What? Sorry, Cl- who got? Hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, Maurice. Thank you Maurice. for uh, for everything. Crazy there. old Maurice. <laughs> Crazy <eh>? old Maurice. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Uh, Lou Gossett Jr. was considered of Officer and a Gentleman. It's probably what he's best known for. His, his Oscar-winning role, um, which is also great. I he been good. I'm, I'm not asking. I mean, that's mainly what I know him from, and from Jaws 3D, oh. where he is the guy running SeaWorld and is like doesn't care that sharks have invaded SeaWorld. Now that <laughs> I do remember, Robert De Niro was considered. Which I get that you're just going for a lot of people of a certain level, but of big names. But... You, you want you know, especially if like Jodie Foster is like she won an Oscar, but she, and she's not like a huge name. Oh, totally. let's go out and see the new Jodie Foster movie in 1991, and like nor was Scott Glenn, and Anthony Hopkins wasn't really known. So it's kind of like got sold and and people came to see it because of in some parts the controversy of like this is like the darkest like most gripping thriller of the year and like had a certain level of prestige but it still came out like early in the year it was also that much more shocking that it was remembered so much later for the oscars because they like february february 14th And that, so then, right. the that's not a following. place that you put a movie that you're thinking is going to win a bunch of. Well, maybe it was in the early '90s less of a big deal than it is now because that is pre Miramax coming in and screwing up the way you campaign. That's true, but it's still you still tended to release your films like your that film on the se- in the second in half November, of the year. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. It's still very rare, so that much more. Well, it was good. That much, that much cooler. Uh, but yeah, Robert De Niro's boring. But though in 1991 he was doing Cape Fear, which like Dustin Hoffman, that's a much better use of. Use of of Robert De Niro in villain mode yeah. um, with him just like covered in tattoos and cigar chomping in a movie theater and cackling and terrorizing Nick Nolte. Nick Nolte as Jack Crawford as well, I think would be, sure. uh, is a good, is a good choice. Sure. Good casting. Pretty much most people Basically other than Scott Glenn. Anybody. Sorry, Scott. You're, I've, Sorry. You've been good in some things, but sure I don't like you in this. you're very talented sometimes. Right. Here's, speak, you sang Patrick Stewart, you don't think could rein it in. John Lithgow was considered, <laughs> who I love, Wait, love, love. But believe love, it or not, I do John think John Lithgow could rein it in more than Patrick Stewart. <laughs> I really do think it's possible. We both saw Raisin Kane. I do not think it's possible. Okay, all right. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> However, I do have to say the whole film, if you can call Raisin Kane a, a film, was so outlandish that he was really just meeting the was, size of right. the material. You're not, okay, you're not wrong about that. But as much as I love John Lithgow, in the comedy version of this, yes. hands down. Genius. Hands down. We also had Robert Duvall, also someone that I think better Jack Crawford, Mu- than, great Jack Crawford. than a Hannibal. Actually, fantastic Jack Crawford. Yeah, yeah. Um, but... A better Hannibal than some of the I agree. big names that Robert Duvall's Godfather co-star James Caan, I think, would have been a great Jack Crawford. Yes. Lots of Jack Crawfords. <laughs> Unfortunately, we got Scott Glenn. <laughs> sorry, Scott. Um, sorry, not sorry. Uh, but yeah, Robert Duvall, yeah. Al Pacino was considered, which sure, no, I don't no, need. We no, don't need no, that. No, we don't need that. No. That's the twist at the end, though, that Hannibal Lecter was actually the devil the whole time time it hurts it hurts uh, uh, good evening Clarice. i ate his liver <laughs> oh hoo-ah, indeed and finally daniel day lewis 
was now, considered. he is someone that did cross my mind because he is someone who is a very good actor and very yeah. transformative. And we've seen him play villains and, and non villains. I would be concerned that he would have just started murdering, murdering and people. eating people to get into character. Yes, yes. That is a fear, a legitimate fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how do you. Well, it's, he's just, you, you know, if he he's, I'm sure, would just be studying every single case file of every oh, yeah. single serial killer. I'm just thinking about, like, what a. Oh, he's a very, very fine actor, but I think about what a pain he must be to act opposite sure. maybe not to yeah. literally act opposite but to be on set with yeah. like i, I think just... that's why it's that much more satisfying when paul dano is just slapping the crap out of him and there will be blood because <laughs> you know that you're like oh i'm sure i'm pretty sure it's like how are they filmed first when it's like daniel lewis like kind of beats him up and shoving his face in mud in that one scene and then later that's why he's like slapping him i, I like to think that paul dano is like oh i'm gonna get mine daddy day i'm gonna i'm gonna, I'm gonna get mine. heck out of this scene <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. Or think about like gangs in New York. I was like, who wants to hang out with uh, that I mean, guy? No, nobody. People were terrified of him on that set yes! because of that mustache and the hair. Whenever he's going out like offset, no, like everyone would shy away from him. Um, you know, but then then he's playing Lincoln, and it's like, okay, he's just gonna bore me with a two hour monologue, a two hour story. It's just old wheezy Lincoln. I, oh, oh, he he whittled me a little. He whittled me like a little picture. I would want Daniel Day Lewis to cobble me some shoes. Sure. I mean, he's he legit oh, could took you a break to become a cobbler. He sure did. But could you imagine just being like, I ordered these shoes from Italy. They're Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> they're an original Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Oh yeah, they're DDL. <laughs> they're, D- they're DDL. <laughs> Yeah, they're bespoke. <laughs> wow, I can't believe the deal on these GDLs. I just got to pay less shoes. <laughs> Daniel Pay Lewis. Daniel Pay Lewis. Pay Lewis. It works. It works. If you try hard enough, people. It's flawless. <laughs> tens, tens across the board. So those are all the characters that I found other casting options for. So before we move on, we're going to do a quick segment of Passing Chemistry. So if Jodie Foster, Scott Glenn, and Anthony Hopkins had all not been available for Silence of the Lambs, which trio of actors considered do you think would have worked best with one another? Personally, I would have done my girl Gina Davis as Clarice. Uh-huh. I would have done Ed Harris as Jack. And I gotta see that Morgan Freeman as Hannibal. Uh-huh. I want it. Okay. I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with Laura Dern. Yeah. I love it. I'm also going to go Ed Harris because that's like such good casting. I can't stand that it didn't happen. And then for Hannibal Lake Cannibal, I'm going to go Derek Jacoby. Love it. Excellent. I think it'd still be a really good film. We would still get like this movie, but it would be different. I think that movie... You're still getting some Oscar nominations. I think so. Maybe Oscar wins for Laura Dern and Derek Jacoby. And probably an Oscar nomination for Ed Harris, possibly. Because he's very good at acting. He's good at the acting. So, there were a few characters we didn't mention. So, we got to briefly touch on them. We've already talked about him a bit. But you got Ted Levine as James Gum, um, who I primarily know from Monk. I watched so much Monk. And he's just Captain Leland Stottlemyre, who's always like, Monk, you're being weird again. He's just like so grounded and such a like, I'm just a normal police detective that it's so wild seeing him in this. Yeah, I think he's great. Again, it's not, it's it's the writing and I think a lot of what the... Um, book is is probably sure. doing um but i think what is asked of him he does with great zeal without <laughs> ever making it feel like he's making fun of the character i agree i th- I think he's like fully 
he's like fully in it. Apparently when he auditioned to play Buffalo Mm -hmm. Bill, Brooke Smith, who I'm guessing was at that point already cast and maybe reading with the potential James Gums, though I couldn't find anyone else who was up for this role. uh, She was so impressed by his acting that afterwards she asked him like, what did you do to give such a great performance? And Levine admitted he didn't know what to do. So he drank a lot of coffee. Love that. Which, sure, sure. Okay, also, the dance, his dance was not in the original script, but it is in the novel. And he mm. insisted that it be added because he thought that the scene was essential in defining the character. Well, he's he's wearing that thing that makes him look like a butterfly, you know? Yeah. And, in, and then in addition to the tucking and everything, which, like, feels like, and that is partially related to Ed Gein, you know, there's, like, yeah. not the tucking necessarily, but just the transformation, you know? Yeah. And you have him, like embodying this butterfly and 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 embodying like what he wants and i do think it's important to really convey like oh okay yeah i mean regardless as we've already we've already discussed it we don't have to talk about it anymore of everything in terms of this characterization and the harm that it has did to the trans community um i I think in strictly of being like getting an actor to play a serial killer i I think he does a very good job i I think he's you know he's terrifying in this um I, I want to give a special little mention to Cassie Lemons, who plays uh, Ardelia, the Clarice's like friend, yes. like, who barely has anything to do. You, we, you were very disappointed that like she didn't, she doesn't really have. She has like a few lines that are, that are really exactly. just like kind of uh, almost as underscoring. They're not yeah. like real yeah. uh, scenes. I agree. It'd have been nice if she had like a little something else. Although I feel like in this kind of film, if she had anything bigger, it would be her being captured by Buffalo Bill. It would be oh. her being captured by a, a serial killer or sure. like something, some terrible thing befalling her, which I'm at least glad that she gets out of the film unscathed. Yeah. Um, but I was like, I feel like I just seen this actor in something, which I had. I just seen her in Candyman, which I watched the first time oh. a little while ago. But she's also, she's the cop in Hard Target. <gasps> no! The, the dumb the dumb birthday candle cop. Yes. The b- birthday candle cop. Uh, have you not seen her target, eh? Watch it immediately. It's so good. I don't think it's as good as Silence of the Lambs, but it's a close second, y'all. <laughs> JCVD, uh, <laughs> being hunted by Lance Henriksen, Yancy Butler, Witch Blade herself, for her daddy. Arnold Vosloo, the mummy himself, the the OG mummy, Brian Brandon Fraser's mummy. I mean, not OG. That's he's not Bars Karloff. Well, he's the OG. He's the millennial mummy. The millennial mummy. <laughs> yeah, get out of here, Tom Cruise. He, we want our millennial mummy, Arnold Vosloo, uh, and she <laughs> is in this movie. That's magnificent. This cop. I when knew we, I had affection for when her. When we first see her, she it's she's sadly she has like a little what is is it is it like a king cake or something or like some kind of it is I think because they're in, they are in knowledge. It's a cookie or a it's cupcake a cookie with a birthday candle. She literally is like happy birthday to me, and then Yancey Butler's coming in like can I talk to you? And she puts her cake in her little cookie in her drawer like oh man whoops Still can't be seen with this lit has a full scene and then opens it and smoke is pouring out and it's like this is the most absurd thing i've ever seen in my life uh but yes she is the birthday that cop from hard target news. um and you might also have known her from murder she wrote season nine <gasps> episode 21 the survivor where jessica becomes involved in an internal police investigation when a colleague is left for dead in an accident which a rookie policeman is killed oh my goodness very but exciting i was very pleased to know that she made a very successful transition into directing she directed uh harriet with cynthia revo did and self-made the cj walker miniseries with octavia spencer That's in terms incredible. of like her recent stuff, but she directed Eve's Bayou with, uh, I think, Sam Jackson in the 90s. So she, like, that's what, like when she first, like, really started directing. So I was like, oh, I'm so glad. I love that she's like, I'm tired of having two lines exactly. opposite the main white lead. And I'm going to go, exactly. like, do I things. was so pleased 
to that's see that. Uh, that's I thought that was really, really cool. Uh, and finally, we got to talk. We've been talking about him, but we got to mention our boy Tony we Healed. We got to do Tony talk. As Dr. Okay, it's bring, bring. That's right. It's Tony talk, y'all. Uh, as Dr. <laughs> Frederick Chilton. So Tony Healed was not originally cast as Chilton. He was originally cast as Rodin. There's like the two bug guys that are helping yes. Clarice. He wasn't even the one hitting on her. He was the other guy. He's like, I'm the bug expert. He's the guy he with glasses. He would also be great in that part because he's very good at acting. He is, but that's such a like small nothing yes, role. Totally. Um, But there was a table read with Jodie Foster where Anthony Hopkins wasn't available, so he filled in as Hannibal Lecter, and based off that table read, they cast him as Dr. Chilton. That is wonderful. Which is also cool to imagine him as Hannibal. Oh, yeah. No, he'd be great. I did imagine him yeah. as Hannibal, because also I've yeah. I've seen Tony in a number of shows, like on Broadway, off Broadway, and at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, mm-hmm. and he is just magnificent you know he's just so good with text someone that you want playing like hannibal where you're just like i want you to like have all these monologues and make it seem like no time has passed because you're so good at delivering speeches you know yeah and i love he he went on to reprise his role in red the prequel red dragon Mm. uh which i love i love that he came back for that uh and i will always love my memory of getting very inebriated with him and a mutual friend of ours and watching the majority of house of cards season three i came home and there's just this whole group of oh we were we were kaputsky we were done we were done we were done for the night (laughs) what was it what was his quote what did he say oh everyone's like cleaning up their food and everything and and he goes i have reached the point of satiety And I just, he said it like three times and I thought it was the most charming thing I've reached. And he said it just like that, like with a slight twinkle in his eye. He's just like relatively small man. Well, I'm a very tall person. So to me, everyone's small. But he's like, so he's a normal sized man. I've reached the point of satiety. And it just made me laugh. Uh, and any final thoughts, Amy Joe? Anything we didn't touch on? Anything we didn't get to in the episode? Yes. There's one deeply important piece of set deck we did not discuss. Please. And that was in the scene where Hannibal has been transferred and he's in the big ballroom cage type yes. thing. Um, and they move his dinner. Like they've come in and they move his dinner. They like take it down to the floor or something like that. It reveals underneath it. It's just a quick shot of a Bon Appetit magazine. And I like <sighs> howled at the screen. I was like, that's very good. <laughs> Get it? Because he's about to eat them. Like, it was just really... I was like, that is some sick, beautiful set dressing. That's good. That is good. Amy Jo. Jeff? What are you recommended this week? Well, I thought it was really important uh, with doing this film that I recommend something that highlighted some trans voices. Love it. I just felt like that would be a way to contribute in a positive fashion. Um, so there's this podcast I recently found called Marsha's Plate, Black Trans Talk. And uh, the episodes I've listened to, it's it's three black trans folk. And they're hilarious and, and very informative and talk deeply about issues. But also they're just like making each other laugh and having a great time. So it's like a really nice way to like learn about trans issues across many, many topics. If you don't know what they are or might be, or just like hearing things from a trans person's point of view and specifically a a black trans person's. And so I, I've really been enjoying listening to that. That again is Marsha's plate. That would be Marsha for Marsha P. Johnson. Mm -hmm. Uh, Marsha's plate, black trans talk. Great. Love it. Jeff. 
Amy Jo. What are you recommending this week? I'm so glad you asked. I'm recommending the 2017 Japanese film One Cut of the Dead, uh, which I just saw recently and is an absolute delight. It's probably, well, I mean, I guess the bar is kind of low in terms of comedy horror films. I was going to say like the best comedy horror film since Shaun of the Dead, or at least certainly the best zombie film. Uh, Just such a unique film. It is... I'll just read the little blurb of IMDb. Things go badly for a hack director and film crew shooting a low-budget zombie movie in an abandoned World War II Japanese facility when they are attacked by real zombies. And the first half hour, it feels like just a bad zombie film where there's weird pauses. There's so much weird stuff going on. And I don't want to reel too much, except that after like a half hour, you can't, you see the same events from outside perspectives. Uh, and it is the noises off of horror films is how I'll refer to it. It's literally seeing like, you know, noises off. You're seeing the same play from rehearsal, from backstage, and then from onstage. And that's how it operates where you're seeing like, it doesn't make sense in the moment. And then for the last hour of the film, it just everything. It's some of the best comedic payoffs I've ever seen where every little detail you're seeing from another angle and it all clicks into place. And it's like surprisingly super heartwarming. I don't know how else to describe it. Literally just go watch it. One Cut of the Dead. <laughs> the opening is also all one take. One Cut of the Dead. This like long, long 30-something minute oneer, uh, which is impressive in its own right. But man, I was just grinning from ear to ear at the end once you realize the conceit of the film. Uh, and I don't know if I'm being slightly vague or maybe I've spoiled it completely. I don't know. Uh, but check it out. One Cut of the Dead, really, especially if you're like, I don't like scary, scary movies, but I like horror-ish films. Super, super delightful. Wonderful. And that's what we're recommending this week. Da-da-da. Do you have a movie that you'd love for us to break down the casting of? Email us at endalmoststarring at gmail.com and let us know. You can find us on Instagram at andalmoststarring. And Facebook at andalmoststarring. And especially if you want to know what the next film we're doing, check it. We reveal it every Saturday. We on sure our... do. And on Instagram, we do a guessing game in the stories. On every Friday. So if you want to try to guess and see what film could we possibly be doing next week, you got to get on the gram. You got to get on the gram. Gotta get on the gram and you gotta get on the face. Book. <laughs> Until next time, I'm Jeff Ronan. I'm Amy Joe Jackson. And thanks for joining us to see who almost starred.